All right, let me go over the plan one last time. In disclaimer form, I mean, we're going to have to get through the front door. So to distract the bouncer, we're just going to use a bunch of adult language and situations. That way they're going to have to send the younger audiences into another room to listen to the episode. We can slip in without a fight. And once we're inside, we'll just start shooting off spoilers of Great Pretender and maybe some other anime. Then anyone who hasn't seen the show yet will put their fingers in their ears and go, la 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 They'll never know what hit them. That should get us into the room with the episode. Once we get our hands on it, we'll make a beeline out, and then we'll start stating opinions that may or may not reflect the Dub Talk podcast as a whole. At that point, everyone in the building will be writing angry YouTube comments at us, and we'll just slip out the way we came. Perfect crime. That sound like a good plan to you, Andrew? You son of a bitch. I'm in. Cool. Wait. When did you have time to hire 11 con men in the roughly 45 seconds it took me to read the disclaimer? Nah, 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 nah. You jet and lack are all I need. You guys can go home and listen to it on YouTube, Podbean, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts when it goes live. Enjoy! Oh, and don't rat us out either. Hello, listeners, and welcome to a new episode of Dub Talk, a show where a bunch of nerds get together and talk about the latest and greatest in anime dubs and voiceover. Today, I am your host... Oh, shit. I, I just got a better idea. Hold on. Hello, listeners, and welcome to a brand new episode of Dub Talk. A show where a bunch of nerds get together and talk about the latest and greatest in anime dubs and voiceover. Today, I am your host, Andrew. Wait, what? I love my girlfriend, Steph. <laughs> what? Wait, if you're me, would that make me Roots of Justice giant pug boy that loves Megan and is just unbelievably obsessed with all of the all of the things? No, 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 no. We we've gone over this. You are lack. Oh God! Wait. Up-and-coming voice actor. Wait, okay. So if I'm, and I'm Spaceman Hardy. Tifa, 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 Tifa. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right, all right, all right, all right. So wait, would that make you... In case you, you couldn't tell... Would that make you, uh, Jet, the famous uh, critic podcast ONA co-host who may or may not have a couple of choice words about the Promised Neverland's English adaptation? Not English adaptation, anime adaptation. I don't know who's supposed to be talking now at this point. <laughs> okay. okay, Roots, when I <laughs> throw so a ball, confused. when I throw a ball, you have to at least attempt to catch it. What are we- Oh, you were directing that at me. Yes. Oh my god. Okay. What exactly- Well, yes, I, I do can tell you what to this have is choice a, words a about the Promised bitch. Neverland's anime adaptation. Oh my god. Okay. So why are we confusing each other right now? For oh, anybody yeah. still listening at this point. <laughs> That's a very good question. Um- we're playing the long con. Today we are covering Great Pretender. Ah, yes. The long con. Where we are confusing each other. We are deceiving one another by not telling the real plan to each other. But in fact, actually making up the plan as we go along. Which was actually part of the plan all along. To make one giant getaway and make a hundred million bucks. 
Oh, man, I wish we could make a hundred million bucks off of this. God, fucking same. I thought we were just going to make an entertaining show this uh, this evening. I mean, we can, but I would not object to, to stealing money from some uh, corrupt capitalist pigs. Should we actually oh, introduce... that sounds fun. I wish we were doing that now. God, yeah, same. Should we actually introduce ourselves? Yeah, yeah, I, I think that would be a good idea. Um... Tonight, I'm your host, Roots of Justice, and joining me today is Andrew. I have I have basically studied how to fly a plane for at least the PAX six hours. I'm obviously a professional. This cannot go wrong at all. Oh, God, this is going so wrong. Ah, you should be fine. Just keep the stick up. Um, we also have Jet. Hey, man, I don't care what anyone says. Like, there's some good stuff about the Razzies, like... Like, the Avatar The Last Airbender live action movie is a work of art. They put so much energy into that <laughs> one folder. <laughs> oh, lordy. And last but certainly not least, we have our good friend, Lack. I love Divine Gate. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, we are going re- Oh, man, that's- That's a- That's a- That's a reference. <laughs> Oh, wow. I think that was like That's one of my first episodes, right there. honestly. It probably was, yeah. Deep, deep cut. <laughs> Most now people then. listening are like, what the fuck is Divine Gate? <laughs> don't, you don't need you to concern like... yourself. You don't need to concern yeah. yourself with Divine Gate. You have Gate. done far better than any of us. It was a thing. You don't need to worry about it now. Yeah. So, as per ANN, I have here a plot description for Great Pretender. Makoto Edamura is a con man who is said to be Japan's greatest swindler. One day, after trying to pickpocket a foreigner, Edamura finds that all of his money was stolen instead. Chasing the man down all the way to Los Angeles, he learns that the foreigner is Laurent Thierry, a French con man who has ties to international criminal organizations. After Edamura follows Thierry and thwarts his big drug deal, Edamura gets tied up and left to die in, on the famous Hollywood sign. Wow, that is... That's... That gives you a good summary of the first episode, and it just gets crazier from there. Like, I feel like to describe what Great Pretender is, like, you can't really give a plot summary. You have to describe a mood. If I was to pitch to you what Great Pretender is, Great Pretender is basically the anime version... Oh god, I... okay, no wait. <laughs> I need to rephrase this. I was going to say this. It was the anime version of another. Come on, get out of my office. No. I was going to say it's the anime version of another anime. I was like, okay, that's good. That's stupid. Hang on. Is that, that's, okay, okay, I, no, okay, I got it. What? Okay, I got it. What if, what if Lupin the Third and Cowboy Bebop had a baby and that baby was the Great Pretender? Okay, oh, that's okay, not no, even not what I was, was going to. That, okay, no, not that baby that was that Great Pretender. That baby also had a Freddie Mercury song. You know what? Well, <laughs> if I was to actually describe it, I was going to say it's basically what happens if Catch Me If You Can was also Black Lagoon. Right. And, I mean, well, that's the funny thing is, like, every case is a different genre, if you notice that. Yeah. Like, like each one, each one follows a certain theme, but each one is different. Like, distinctly, Wizards of the East Coast is distinctly a Yakuza film. Mm -hmm. Very much every every case is pretty much a different like blockbuster genre film. Now that you, I didn't actually even yeah. realize that, but yeah, no, definitely. 
This guy, this has a lot of Western influence, I mean, and it's oh boy, is it a it? This is a gripping watch, by the way, and I actually. I do appreciate the fact that, like, every case is very clearly defined as which is which. So it's like, okay, I just, I, I have enough in me to watch this entire arc, take a break for a day, and then watch the next arc. Because I'm not somebody who, it's a I'm not somebody who likes to binge things, like, start to finish. I like to watch it in, like, thematic story chunks. And Great Pretender very much does that, and it's... This is a very interesting show, poor God. I'm very happy to be talking it's, about it. It's got yeah. loop on the third sensibilities with a Dragon Ball Z style structuring. What? Uh, Where the fuck did you get Dragon Ball's pacing structure? What? No, not pacing. I mean, there are some sort of jump allegories that it's going to make, but uh, not to winter and anything. Uh, okay. I'm. <laughs> I have no idea where you get Dragon Ball from this at all. One thing I should note, um, and we've kind of hinted at it here and there, is um, the structure of Great Pretender is four mini sub-arcs that make up the 23-episode the length of the series. Um, each handle a different con where they, you know, where they swindle money from a different criminal or... I mean, there's one who really kind of wasn't, but was kind of an asshole anyway, so... This is, however, an important distinction to make when I bring up the ADR staff. Each of the four arcs were covered by a different director and a different scriptwriter. I wouldn't say that for all four arcs. Not for all four arcs, two of them did have the same director. So in terms of direction... Uh, this is an NYAV post uh, for Netflix. So the director for the first case, which is episodes one through five, is Michael Center Nicholas. Kyle McCarley handled the second case, which is episodes six through ten. And Michael Schneider handled cases three and four, which is the rest of the series. Um, episodes 11 through 23. And assisting them was uh, Stephanie Shea throughout the whole thing. And they also helped each other every now and again for various episodes. Mm -hmm. So that all of them are basically main directors and assistants to one another. And in terms of ADR script writing, we have somebody who really wasn't credited for any particular case. It looks like they sort of oversaw the script writing process for the entire series. Um, his name is Clark Chang. Okay, I recognize that name. Kyle McCarley did primary script writing duties for case one. Ryan Nichols did primary script writing duties for case two. And Michael Schneider handled the case, the, both cases he directed. Cases three and four. Okay, so he double dutied. Uh, Michael Sinter Nicholas, you would know his directorial work from Your Name, Lupin the Third, the First, and MFKZ. Kyle McCarley is a relatively new director in terms of anime, but you would recognize him from the latter half of Carol and Tuesday. Uh, Michael Schneider has directed or or assisted in the direction of uh, films such as Promare, Maquia. And Dragon Quest Your Story. Clark Chang is mainly known for subtitling and timing, 
but he has done script writing work for things such as Expel from Paradise, Monsinger Z Infinity, and Cardcaptor Sakura the Movie 2, The Sealed Card. Kyle McCarley has done script writing duties for shows such as Carolyn Tuesday, Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba, and the film Fate Stay Night, Heaven's Field 2, Lost Butterfly. Ryan Nichols actually has no other anime script writing credits to his name. Uh, Michael Schneider, you would know his script writing work from things such as Promare, Oko Zin, and Dragon Quest Your Story. Um, so I think I'm going to have Jet start off with direction and script writing. Oh, cool. Um, and so at this point, there's not really too much I can say to keep sticking to praise of the NYAV post, because, I mean, they just keep doing great work, and both Michael Santa Nicholas and Michael Snyder have done really exceptional work as directors, and that carried over pretty well for this show. Uh, Kyle McCarley, I'm a little less familiar with as a director, and the only other thing I've seen is the back half of Carolyn Tuesday, but... Uh, in spite of my problems with that dub's casting choices, I thought the voice direction was at least pretty good. And I definitely liked what he brought to the table there. And he and I thought, uh, at least for this dub, he did a really good job of bouncing off of the work of both Michaels. Uh, speaking of this show, uh, there's always more to ADR directing than given credit for, and Great Pretender in particular really required a very deft hand in order to work. Uh, for one thing, there's the obvious challenge of having the characters speak in several languages across the show, and having the characters switch between them on a dime. Uh, that can be tough to do even for live-action projects, so I can only imagine how hard that is with anime dubbing, but they really managed to pull it off pretty well for this show. Uh, and while they did have to cut corners in episode 1 by reusing some of the Japanese track instead of having the dub actors speak Japanese for those scenes because... That probably would have been pretty tedious to do, considering that scene goes on for like 10 minutes before the show finally switches to English. But I guess it works pretty well as a compromise, even if it probably didn't leave a lot of casual viewers confused, to the point that Netflix had to go out of their way to clarify it, which was kind of funny. Like, the fact uh, that they straight up had to make a comment about it is so funny, but I'll also say, even when I knew about it, when I was like almost like nine minutes into the first episode, I had to check my audio settings myself just to make sure I was correct. Because it, it, right. it takes and a minute. I was curious. I looked, I wanted to see what the scenes in the original Japanese look like compared to the English dub. And you do start, if you pay attention, you can hear that the English dub actors are the ones speaking with the accents. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's so hard to tell unless you've seen both scenes that I can see how it'd be confusing for people. Which, so. I'll say this. There's a couple of times where I'm like, okay, that's probably not so-and-so actor, but there's a number of times where it's like, no, that is actually, that is actually the correct English dub actor speaking in another language. And I thought that's really neat. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of that, especially in later arcs. Yep. Oh boy, especially mm -hmm. in later arcs. Yep, uh, one other aspect of the dub direction here I also have to give a lot of credit to, though, is also the fact that, you know, since this is a show about, well, con artists, uh, you have several instances where the characters have to put on a persona in order to fool their targets. As I'm sure a lot of actors would tell you, playing a character who's playing another character can be extremely challenging. So I'm pretty impressed with how well they pulled that off here, and I thought Abby's V in particular really excelled in that area, considering how far, how far removed a lot of those characters character acts were for Maddie's actual personality. And uh, I also really liked the script too, despite 
having multiple directors, I mean, multiple writers on board, my bad. I thought it felt pretty seamless for the most part. And I really liked how well they were pretty much able to make everything come together. They, and a lot of the dialogue flowed pretty well in English, and it was so well crafted, there was a lot of times where it didn't even feel like I was watching a dub, but that's a pretty high form of phrase you can give to a good dub translation. And lastly, I also really want to give some credit to Michael Sotonekos for the casting on the dub, because there were several different ethnicities represented in this show when they were all casted accordingly, meaning we got actors of Middle Eastern descent for those characters, and even some actors of Japanese descent for the Yakuza characters in the final arc, and I'm not sure any other studio would have really got the extra bio on that last one, but it really added to the dub's experience, and it just, it really gave it some extra spice. So, yeah. I'm not I'm not going to pretend like I know the process that well, but I can't imagine it would be that hard to find that ethically diverse people in New York. Honestly. Yeah, I mean yeah, pr- I mean yeah, I mean I mean probably not yeah, probably not New York specifically, but that's so like I can't imagine anyone else really going out of the way to go that far. See, see, well, no, see, Lack, here's not. the thing. It's it's not only just like about it's not only just a matter of like getting people who are the correct ethnicity. It's also getting people who are the correct ethnicity who know how to do ADR or how to do right. dubbing and not prelay or voiceover or theater, et cetera, et cetera. Like it's, it's, it takes a right. village and this village is quite the impressive one. Right. And not to mention, um, NYAV Post is already kind of a unique studio in the respect that they have offices in New York and Los Angeles that allow for bi-coastal dubbing. But now we have the capability of remote dubbing. That brings a whole other discussion about the ADR crew in particular, in that this is a freaking remote dub. This is, I think I remember seeing the director's stamp confirm, this is a remote dub. Like, maybe some of this was cast before the pandemic? But, like, this was all done from home. I don't know if they could have cast this before the pandemic. This was, um, this aired between summer and fall of last year. I mean, if they got the materials far enough in advance, which, like, the show did seem to have a pretty strong production since they probably did get some of the materials in advance. But I can believe they at least casted the show before the pandemic. But this was definitely all done remotely. and so, Yeah, considering how many technical challenges went into this dub even without that, like, the fact that it sounds this good in spite of that is honestly really incredible. I have nothing to do with this. Yeah. Why don't you go next, Slack? I mean, I think one of the main things I would say about this dub and the directing and writing in particular is ambition. I, I really can't think of another dub that's ever tried to do something like this. And I think it's it's actually pretty remarkable how well it was actually executed. When when you have, you know, there, there's certain things about anime where it's like they tend to be set in one particular spot. So you do run a risk when you take on an anime like this that is so global that how do you really approach it? Because, you know, do you culturally diverse how you're going to present the characters and the actors that you put in the characters... And I think sometimes it's actually important to really try to do that. I don't know. I, I, I guess what I'm really just trying to get around to saying is just the fact that it, it was, it is kind of a, a go beyond 
what we normally see for a dub, and they actually managed to pull it off, which is even, which makes the fact that they even tried to do it in the first place even more remarkable. So, yeah, that's really all I have to say. Andrew? So, yeah, mostly, this is, this is a kind of crazy team, and this is a pretty stacked team of people. All, some very, very much veterans of the craft, some that are a little bit greener, and the thing that I find the most impressive about this entire production, it feels seamless. Because the best, the best stuff about, like, ADR direction, ADR script writing, good voice performance, good direction, good scripting, if that's seamless across a team like this... And it doesn't feel like any one part is unraveling or something standing out more than the other. They all kind of blended together and melded in a in a gumbo kind like what was I was gonna say like melting pot gumbo kind of thing. The point I'm attempting to try and convey while I'm getting a little bit hungry thinking about gumbo, it all comes together naturally. Which is honestly impressive, because this is an ambitious, insanely technically complicated project. This would be technically pro a complicated if you were doing this in a studio environment. Let alone working with hundreds of different recording setups and studios across the world. Or across the country. Hell, probably across the world too. You never know. The point is, the team at NYAV Post, Michael, Michael again, Kyle, Clark, Stephanie, Ryan, and pretty much anybody else. I, we're not talking about them. We're not crediting them. Anybody who was an engineer on this production is basically a goddamn Far East wizard in their own right. This is, a, this is genuinely one of the most ambitious productions. The casting is amazing. Like, you definitely got the representation. But they also just really match their characters. And they really get some great performances out. You got some veterans of anime. You've got some people who are a little green. Who've never done anime. And everybody just sounds... Just great. Like, Grand Pretender is impressive. Ambitious. Impressive. And definitely, definitely a must watch. I'm going to sort of jump off of what everyone else was saying. Um, I do have to say the um, the multilingual aspect of this show was really interesting. Um, there are points where I could kind of tell the actor was switched up. Um, not sure if it was the, the Japanese actor per se that they were bringing in um, an additional language voice to. I would say in the last arc, I don't think that's... I think it was different actors, honestly. Yeah. But still, it was if that if it were the same actors doing the um, the Japanese and Chinese language segments, that's really impressive. And even if it isn't, um, they were able to match that up really well, and it felt absolutely seamless. Um, that's impressive in and of itself, especially considering the remote recording aspect of this dub. The actual casting itself is well represented. And performances were very rock solid. Um, I do want to bring up something, though. Uh, it 
happened during the final arc, the the Wizard of the Far East case. Um, it is a scene where Xiao Lu is talking to his second-in-command. Um, and he brings up a series of Japanese books. And he's just like, yeah, hey, uh, this guy was really good. He was supposed to be the first Asian writer to win a Nobel Prize for, for his writing. But it ended up going to his mentor. Why did that happen? Because his mentor had better translators. I'll, I'll be getting into this when we actually get to the Wizard of the Far East story arc. But I just love the fact that the show in and of itself references the idea that the translation is one of the most important things you can do to a foreign body of media. I, I think that's spectacular. I, I actually kind of love this stuff to death. Not just from the, the aspect of they had all of these pieces that they had to stitch together, uh, but everybody was just, everybody just absolutely blew me away. So I think with that, I think we're going to go ahead and get into the actual meat of the story and the individual characters that make up the four story arcs. They mainly just appear in each of the arcs, and then we'll cover the recurring characters when we get to the it end. It makes for relatively simple grouping for the most part. So... First and foremost, we have Case 1, and I'm kind of drawing a blank as to the actual name Los of it. Angeles Connection. Yeah, the Los, yeah, Angeles, Los Angeles Connection. Connection. Oh, L.A. Connection. Okay. Laurent is, um, basically recruits Edamora to sort of play a drug cook for a film director who really has a reputation for making bad films, but secretly it's also a front for a drug smuggling operation. Yeah, it's basically just a mob family of us. Just, it might just be a mob family, you know, as as it goes in Hollywood. As you do. I mean, it's Hollywood. This is basically the honeymoon period for Great Pretender Eventually. and with the viewer. Because A, when you start when you start watching Los Angeles Connection, you don't know the formula yet. The entirety of this first case is the tutorial. This is how this show's gonna play. This is what we're gonna do. This is what you're gonna expect. Because basically, you are Edamora. You don't know what's going on. All you know right now is it's just a pretty... It's basically that one episode of regular show where Mordecai and Rigby are trying to see who is the better liar and keep lying until they get themselves in the biggest fucking mess and just at the end they're just like yeah no we're not astronauts uh, 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 okay uh, see when you wrote up oh. okay see when you wrote up lying to these of that one episode of the looney tunes show that ends with that, that ends with bugs like in some foreign country and it's like and daffy joined the marine for some reason it's basically los angeles connection <laughs> is just one giant like liathon between these two fucks and just the escalation that it goes through. But it's also where you first learn the formula of how the confidence men work, how the fucking long con works, and God, the reveal of Agent Pola Dickens. And who Cynthia is. 
The reveal of Agent Paula Dickens is so fucking good because by that point, I genuinely did not know what her deal was. I like, okay, she's on the poster. She's probably important. I didn't know that's what the fucking deal was. That's so good. Uh, going going back to what I was saying, LA Connection is definitely kind of meant to be the 80s, like, action, you know, cop action movie, like the, like, Miami Vice. That's kind of what they were going for yes. for that I, one. So. I feel there's also an argument that could be made to be said that Los Angeles Connection is the peak of Great Pretender. I don't think I agree with that per se, but I feel like I, I feel like it's sort of like that level of mystery excitement. You don't know how the game is played yet. That kind of like pulls It's you a good in. opener, but it is definitely not the best story. And we'll get to my favorite story later. Okay, fair so, enough. Yeah. But it's a strong yeah, I opening. Think that, yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's the best put together, but I wouldn't exactly say it's my personal favorite. So first and foremost, we have Eddie Cassano, uh, mob boss and director of the ultimately terrible Razzie movies, which, holy shit, there is a reveal at the very end of the show that just absolutely got me up and laughing riotously. Um, you know what? Screw it. We have a disclaimer at the beginning of this. I'm going to Yeah, because I don't even know what you. you're talking about. So the actor who plays Razzie in the show... Is oh, that who that was? Is what he's doing in the very last episode. Is that who that oh fucking was? Oh my god. Was that is that who was? that was? Razzie is the oh. president of the fucking United States I didn't at the catch end that. of the show. Like oh, I, I, I... Yeah, like... Like, I watched the show twice, and I did not know who that character was at the end. I was like, oh, okay. Oh, God! I was and wondering what... Like they Ronald did... Reagan. That's really clever. Was that actually Reagan? I had to look at the credits to do research. Like, this was maybe, like, 45 minutes before we started the episode. I had to look, double-check a few things in the credits of the last episode. I skipped it a little too far, and it... And I saw in the credits, Razzie, and in parentheses, President. And I'm like, oh, fuck you. Well, well, you know what's funny is when I saw him, I was like, oh, are they trying to say this was set in the 80s? Because he looks like Reagan. I didn't I actually like, no, I, I didn't actually put together that the guy from, like, Casano's uh, film was the president. And I didn't realize that actually might... Oh, my God, that is a fucking Reagan. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, okay. Wait, 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 wait. I, wait, wait, wait. Would it be Reagan? I actually, hang on. I don't. Hmm. Well, I mean, if he was yeah. an actor and became president, I would supposed to be a Reagan reference. As I know, like, it seemed like this show was in modern day. I'm pretty sure. It, I think it is in modern day. But you're right. That no, it has to be. They use cell they, phones. They do webcams. No, well, well, that that that's what I was gonna say. Is that I saw him and I was like, wait, is that supposed to be Reagan? And is this supposed to be set in the 80s? No, that can't be right. Okay. It's supposed to be set no, no, in the No, 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 no. You're right. So. That I didn't actually realize that was Razzie. That's really funny. Okay, anyways. Oh, man. Ain't it beautiful? Oh, thank you. That was bugging the show. I watched the show twice beautiful. and I didn't piece that together. Thank you, Roots. Yeah, no problem. All right, let's talk about the fucking cast. Um, now, so at the acting. right hand. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, so, at the right hand of Eddie Cassano is Salazar, his bodyguard. Um, he had a bit of a rough time with at the start of his life and is basically now a bodyguard for a drug dealer, and he wants to get out of that life. He just needed somebody to 
say something to him that he could go and pursue other things. We have Anderson, the L.A. police chief, um, who's on Cassano's take before he's he's strong-armed and blue-balled into actually trying to bust him. Thanks to Paula Dickens, quote-unquote. Um, and then you have Tom. Uh, Thomas Salazar's son put into foster care, and Salazar is able to see him once a week, and they have an episode where Edamora basically convinces Salazar to take his son and, you know, go to an amusement park. And that was sort of the catalyst for Salazar realizing he probably could have a better life if he wanted to. He just has to figure out how do I get the fuck out of this messy situation. Eddie Cassano is played by Fred Titasior, uh, Salazar by Alan Mesa, Police Chief Anderson by Jameson Price, and Tom by Griffin Robert Faulkner. Fred Titasior, you would know from Naruto Shippuden, and he's basically been the animated voice of the Hulk in Marvel yep. properties since the the whole Disney buying him out thing. Probably even a little before that. I think, yeah, even before Fred, that. Uh, Fred's name has been around for a while. Just to point another thing, uh, he's the Reaper in uh, Overwatch. Yeah, like he he's a no, pretty he's not big video game voice actor. Yeah, he's not uh, Reaper. Uh, I'm pretty sure he was in Eureka 7 too, that I, if, if I remember correct. Hang on, I I could have sworn he was Reaper. Because Re Reaper is um, shit. I I, I'm gonna name. look this up now. Hang on. No, he's Soldier Seventy Six. That was my that That's right. that okay, was yeah. my confusion. Reaper is Keith Ferguson. That's my bad. Thank you. I, I knew Ferguson, he was sub. Yeah. I know he was somebody at Overwatch. He also voices Beast a lot in the X Men. Um, so Alan Mesa is actually kind of an up and comer. It looked like he did a lot of video game voice acting and um, and walk on roles on television and film. Really cool to see him get such a major part in an anime. Hopefully we see more of him, but I'll have more opinions on that mm -hmm. later. Uh, Jameson Price, I could basically read his ANN thing all day. Uh, but namely, you would probably know him from the Pioneer dub of Akira, and more recently, Doro Hidoro. Griffin Robert Faulkner was the younger version of one of the major characters in Ride Your Wave. Uh, that was basically what I could find. Okay. Um, so I think I'm going to go ahead and start with Andrew this time around oh boy okay just starting off with me okay cool um so simply put uh Gri Gri griffin faulkner uh that's the guy who played that's the actor who plays tom okay yeah uh griffin is a adorable precious little child uh he makes his adorable little claim like oh my god are you a ninja and he just has that level of childlike wonderment but also getting some kind of poignant moments where it's like where there's a there's a couple of moments where I think he's at the capsule they're at like the capsule toy machine where he gets like a gangsters and robbers thing he gets a gangster he's like oh he's sad about the gangster he's like I want I want to get a cool bodyguard like my dad I'm like ooh that that's things but Griffin does a good job with this very like innocent childlike uh, delivery if I'm also remembering correctly I think he's also like baby Edamora. I think it's the same voice. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's what I thought. But yeah, that's a that's another uh, trademark of specifically of NYAV, 
where they will actually go the extra mile to uh, cast child actors to be child characters. Which I want to give a shout out for. Uh, Griffin does a pretty good job with that. Uh, Alan, Alan does a very good job as uh, Salazar. He's very rough. He's very tough. He's also definitely a little more like... He's definitely a little more... It's very much... You see, you see tough bouncer bodyguard man. But when you see those moments of humanity and character come out of him, you're like, oh, you've got a lot more going on than I expected. He... He also is, he's also kind of in tune with the fact that Enamora's a fraud, but doesn't turn him in because he's like, look, you're not killing my boss. I, I don't have to protect him from scams. And then he's just like, yeah, he, he's given a second chance and it's cool. I think Alan does a very good job making him sound tough and strong, but also a little bit sensitive and caring for his kid. It's cute. Uh... Jameson Price is Jameson Price. The man's a man, a myth, a legend, and motherfucker. He wanted no pickles. He wanted no pickles, okay? What was so wrong about that? He wanted no pickles. He also took some blood money, but hey, he just wanted no pickles. That's all, that's all he wanted. Well, yeah, no, Jameson Price. He's got a very tough, commanding voice. He's very does a very good job. And yeah, he's a ton of fun seeing his chemistry with other characters. Fred as Eddie Casado is amazing. He's chilling. He's commanding. He's a little bit... He, he sounds like a... I genuinely believe this is a mob boss he is playing. And he sells it so well. He's tough. He's kind of a bit of an asshole. He's a bit of a sleaze. He's really tough and he's really scary sometimes, especially when you see him straight up being like, there better be no traitors in our miss. That'd be bad, right? And then he just straight up hits a, hits a guy in the balls. He's like, ah, oh, hey, Doc, did you see my follow through? But yeah, no, just God. He's also very, I love the scene where uh, Edamora is talking to him about the, creating a masterpiece and how he really cares about it, and you see him getting kind of emotional and choked up about it. It's like, that's exactly what I was going for. Like, he's, he's scary, he's tough, intimidating, but you also see so much emotion coming out of Fred in particular. Like, as far as Case 1 goes, uh, Fred as Eddie Casado is the standout. And honestly, probably one of the stronger, like, in the supporting cast period. He's the he's delightful. Um so I'll also start with uh, Griffin Roberts out there as Tom. Uh he doesn't leave like a super big impression on me, but I always appreciated Miami Post casting child actor that thought he had a very good talent quality to his tone. Uh, like Andrew was saying, he definitely made Tom sound like he was full of wonder. I thought like their whole I thought the whole thing about them like hanging out in the amusement park was pretty fun and I I definitely didn't like the scene where, like, he was, like, by the capsule toy that he wasn't happy about, like, hitting a gangster toy because he really, uh, because he really likes the bodyguard. And I thought, like, oh, that's sweet and also extremely sad. So, um, and, so, and, yeah, I did, like, so I didn't quite piece together that was him playing Baby anymore, but I definitely hear it now. And I thought he did a really good job there, too. So, great on him. Uh, let's see, uh, Jameson Price as a police chief, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, it's basically just 
pure Jameson Price. This is the sort of thing he does really well. He's really good at playing gruff, kind of grass characters, and he was definitely a lot of fun there. It's a, it's a, I, definitely did, I definitely did appreciate the joke where it seemed like he was really serious about his job at first and extremely uptight, and he just wanted his dang pickles. And, so, and then he gets to the joke where it turns out, oh, well, he's actually on a take the entire time, which I thought was a good punchline. And, like, and then he gets drunk along by Paul Dickens, and he's clearly not very happy about it. I thought Jameson got that across really well, and that was a lot of fun. Okay, um, Alan Mesa and Salazar. Uh, obviously, this isn't a name I'm familiar with, and I thought he did a really solid job here. I thought he had, like, the right, uh, gruff tone for the character. I mean, he did, I mean, he was pretty, he was definitely on the quiet side, but... It's like, eh, but whatever, but what lies he didn't have, I thought he conveyed really well. He, I definitely liked his whole dynamic with Edamora, where he seems really, it's like, eh, where he seems really kind of distant, like he doesn't really care about anything that's happening, and then it turns out that's, like, kind of intentional because he's not really all that loyal to his boss, which is kind of why he gets along pretty well with Edamora and decides to kind of a break, even though it's, even though Edamore does a really terrible job of hiding his tracks with that whole teddy bear thing. Uh, but yeah, I thought they had I thought they had a pretty good dynamic. I not really I definitely liked Alan so but he was kinda of like going over his history and how and all the mistakes he made in his life and how he kinda of wants his son to do better, I thought he portrayed that whole scene really well. And it's like, and I'm glad Salazar got a happy ending. Uh, he, uh, he definitely deserved it. Uh but yep. Uh, like Andrew was saying, the real star of this section is definitely Fred Tadascore is Eddie Casado because, yeah, it really is just like the perfect mob boss voice. He's like, he's commanding, he's kind of sleazy, and that's how he, he just has like this very clear presence to his voice, and I mean, I always enjoyed Fred Tadascore and the things I've heard him in, but this is like definitely one of the more distinct roles I've heard from him. Is that like it's really hammy? It's a lot of fun. I definitely like that whole scene where he was like, that whole scene where he had everyone at the party and then he like called out one of the traders and then it like blue balled him to nuts. That was like, that, that, that was equally hammy and terrifying and it was just kind of delightful to watch. And I also liked all the scenes with him and Edamore where they're like watching his movies and he's clearly, and he's clearly getting very emotional at finding someone who finally appreciates his work. And, and, I mean, it didn't make me actually feel sorry for the guy, but it was the most you could almost connect with him, and I guess I kind of appreciated that in a sense. But, uh, yeah, it was a lot of, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, there's only one complaint I would really have about him, but, I mean, we'll get to that much, much later. All right, Lack. Yeah, not much really to add. Uh, all the performances were pretty strong all around. Uh, it's always fun to hear Jameson Price and whatever he's playing. Um, but, yeah... Fred Tedesior uh, really stood out as uh, as as Cassano. Um, I wasn't. I mean, like looking it up, I was actually surprised to see it was him. I mean, once I saw that, I was like, "Oh yeah, that's his voice." But I was like, "Oh wow, he's here, man!" They're really bringing in some names into this one. I didn't. I didn't even know until you guys just mentioned that this was a union dub. I was not aware of that. I think all um, current Netflix dub projects are union-based. But overall, my point, I guess, is just that... I don't know. It, it's it, it's good. It's all good around. I really don't have anything to add. You guys already pretty much covered everything. So I'll start out with Tom. Griffin Robert Faulkner was really great. I like the fact that NYAV Post actually tries to bring in children to play child characters. I, I know that that's 
kind of a tricky thing to do with, with, you know, laws and stuff. Kids acting and figuring things out as they go. Um, the only th complaint I actually kind of have is um, he does sound a little too similar to young Edamora. This isn't his fault. And I probably also wouldn't necessarily fault the director for it either because, you know, this is already kind of a complicated dub and trying to either find another child with a remote recording setup ready to go or help to set that up might have been a little too much. So I'm, I'm not going to fault the dub for it. It just kind of stuck out a little. Uh, Jameson Price was an absolute blast. Um, it was absolutely hilarious seeing him whine over pickles and he got, to, he got to play. It was just sort of the sniveling. I don't know how to describe it, but I, 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 I loved it. I, I love Jameson Price and sort of seemingly more comedic roles. And I, I hope he gets to do more things of the similar Alan Mesa as Salazar Again, really good. He does sort of the conflicted tough guy really well. Not to mention, it's just really great seeing names I have never seen before in an anime dub. Um, we true. got a lot of that coming up here. And I'll probably have more to say in Final Thoughts. But it's the kind of thing where I hope to see him in more NYAV post-projects in the future. And dear God, Fred Tatasior. Oh, Chef Kiss. Like, it is the right level of hammy. It's the right level of just absolute intimidation. It's one of my favorite performances of the show overall. Uh, even given what the show does with him in Case 4. But we'll get to that. So overall, Case 1 was a really sort of fun introduction to our characters. Really fun. Just sort of... In general, the con was really fun, where Edamora is basically made up to be sort of a drug deal, not a drug dealer, a drug cook. Which, by the way, they straight up reference um, pop culture in this in this arc. Like they straight up compare him to doing a Walter White, because he is. Yeah, I think they name drop Walter White. Walter Drive. Uh. Uh. Cassano straight up says the script is sh too shit for DiCaprio to consider. Yeah, I wonder how much of that was um, was added into the dub or just it, 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 in the Japanese. It, oh, I checked the subtitle. I had the subtitle track playing over the dub when I did my rewatch. That, those were the subs too. Okay, cool. Okay, but yeah, it's it's really great. I'll have words to say about Edamora, but his his sort of role as like the fake drug cook who's just making candy. That, that was really fun. And just all the interactions, real mm -hmm. great. I am the danger. I am the one who knocks. <laughs> oh, boy. Man. Would Laron be the Walter Wright White of this crew? No. He no. would He would be the Saul Goodman. Shit. Would Adam... So you think Adam... Ooh, okay. This is gonna this is gonna take a while. We should we should move. We should take a flight out of L.A. and hit these skies to Singapore. Uh, by the way, if you do want to hit these nuts, uh, I was doing a thing. Fuck you. If you do want to speculate about what characters in the Los Angeles connection arc are connected to Breaking Bad characters, you can do so in the comments. Okay, fine, fair. Do that. 
<laughs> God, I had a, I had a anyway. good segue. Y'all shot that plane down real good. It was a good segue, Andrew. Now go sit down, drink your juice box. Mm. I will. It's fucking good juice. Mm. <laughs> Uh, so case number two is Singapore Sky. It is an air race that obviously occurs in Singapore, run by two brothers who are sort of exiled Middle Eastern princes. I don't think the nation they are from are, is ever specific. They, they never stated. name drop it, but there's a lot of there's a lot of allegory implication of it having some sort of so kind of Saudi influence. Yeah, I, I Which got Which basically, that if you want to talk about what this arc is, it's basically, what if, what if the WWE was dogfighting, and what if it was run by Arabian princes? Yeah, so the important thing about this air race is, it is completely and totally rigged. Slash scripted. Right. But yeah, totally rigged. And the con of this is basically taking the, the actual owner of the race, um, Sam Ibrahim, and convincing him to go to a casino that Laurent builds in basically a day out of a hotel room in order to convince him to throw a bunch of money at the race. And then they would reverse the rigging that he does in order to get another plane to win so that he loses all, all the All the while kind of uh, having Abby straight up learn to be a be a pilot and pretty much get in his good graces to have the rigging make it so that she gets in the finals with the star of it uh wrote okay okay let's talk about the fact that clark is just clawed from fire emblem three houses yeah basically he looks just <laughs> he does look just like, like time skip clawed he's fucking hot <laughs> Look at him! Look at him! He is a stud. He's a fucking he a stud. stud. He's a man. He's, he's not exactly an angel, but he's definitely of the two brothers. He's a lot more. He's a much better guy and a much more no, noble, I mean, good-natured dude than his brother, who is basically a. He's very charming. It's a, it's a, it's a, uh, okay, I mean, I mean, without getting too much into like. Uh, the problems with case four i was that i was very happy he came back at least oh yeah no claude yeah. claude coming oh oh my i mean look andrew andrew clark ibrahim can be your angle or he can or be he your could devil. be your devil. no I'm, I'm not even laughing about the the angle thing oh fuck i'm laughing i know i, I know claude. i know you called him claude <laughs> Oh, this is gonna be all night. <laughs> anyway, check out my fanfiction crossing over Fire Emblem Three Houses with the Great Pretender on Wattpad. Motherfucker, don't you even try me. I will make something of that happen. But I, I feel I, a disturbance um, in the force. I will say It's like a thousand AO3 users warmed up their computers. Yeah. <laughs> Sam and Clark Ibrahim. They are brothers. They are princes. Clark's good at flying. Sam's good at being a pedophile. Sam is good at well, <laughs> oh yeah, there's that. Yeah, and demonetized. Yeah, and he clinic and clinic and also sexist. I'm not a. Anytime somebody says yeah, I'm not a misogynist, they're probably a misogynist. That's a good way to tell that they probably are. Um, but in addition, 
I didn't mention this as I was describing the arc, but um, Lewis Muller was a pilot who took part in the air race, um, decided he was actually going to take it seriously, and then his plane malfunctioned in a way that definitely seemed like sabotage. Because it was. And he basically injured himself horribly, and he's addicted to painkillers. And we also have his mm -hmm. wife, um, Isabel, who has stuck with him through thick and thin, but you can tell she's kind of tired at this point. And hot. I mean, yeah. Uh, so in any case, um, Sam Ibrahim is played by Abe Martell. Clark Ibrahim by Ariane Kassam. Louis Muller by Neil Kaplan. And Isabel Muller by Lapika Shaw. Abe Martell and Ariane Kassam are both Again, up-and-comers. Um, what I could glean was they've done video game voiceover work. They've done sort of more single episode and walk-on roles on television and movies. It's it's important to, to say that, you know, the, these aren't bit parts. Every smaller part leads you to bigger parts. Uh, so Neil Kaplan, you would know from things such as Voltron Legendary Defender. Right. I was... And uh, Dr. Aegon in Dragon Quest, your story. <laughs> oh, that's never not going to be funny. I love you. Yeah, no, I was looking through because I was like, I know this guy. I know Neil Ka Kaplan, but who is he? And then I looked through and I saw uh, Zarkon from Voltron. And I was like, oh, that's why I you know did, him. Yeah, I okay. Got that. okay. You, you, you got those. You've got uh, Captain Yamato from Bleach. Uh... And let's let's just say let's just I, I say it. He's Madara Uchiha, <laughs> not Madara Uchiha, Madara Uchiha. Is it yes, yeah, specifically he is the real Madara Uchiha and the Madara Uchiha who is God, I fucking hate I hate Naruto. I love Naruto, but I hate Naruto. Anyways, he's Madara. Isabel Muller. Uh Lapika Shaw. Uh you would know Lapika from such films as uh Makuya, and she's also been in a few episodes of uh mobile suit gundam the origin also just because i'd be remiss if you didn't bring this up uh she is shoko's mom in a silent voice that was like the first time i really got to hear her and she was great in that apparently she's right. officer jenny now wait what um i as i um i guess i'd probably check out i mean pokemon is a cross california and New York done now, so... So, I started with Jet on the first segment, and Andrew on the second, so Lack, why don't you start us off? Okay, uh, everybody here sounds good. Um, good to great. Uh, I would say Neil Kaplan as Lewis really stands out well. You really get, you really feel like the, the bitterness in his performance of someone who would be put in Lewis's situation who is a hardened soldier and is also someone who basically got screwed over in life. Uh, I think uh, Lipika Shah, I think she does a phenomenal job as Isabel Moraler. I, I really liked her, even though she it was kind of a bit part, I think she kind of nailed the role because Isabel is kind of this really complex character where she's this loving wife who is kind of at the end of a rope in a lot of ways. Um, I think she did a fantastic job. Ariane? Is that how you pronounce it? Ariane Kassim? 
I, I believe so. That's, yeah. that's how it looks. Aryan Kasim, I really liked him as Clark Abraham. He really brought a lot of likability to the character. Um, Clark Abraham can easily be a, an unlikable D-bag of a character, but I think for someone who's gotten so lucky in life like Clark has, you need to have that likable charisma, and I think Aryan Kasim really brings that. Um, now, Abartel is Sam Ibrahim. Uh, I think it's a good performance. One of the things that I think bothered me slightly is his screaming moments. And I know this is going to sound weird, but when Sam is yelling, I just wasn't feeling it. I don't think Abe Martel really was yelling in the way that fit kind of the... The, the character? What we were seeing on screen. Um, it didn't really feel like he was like projecting his voice as much when he was yelling it just felt like it was just sam's regular voice being louder and i it this didn't ruin the performance for me because i think there was a lot of great moments in abe martell's performance as sam but I, there was just these moments where sam is supposed to be like this raging like bastard basically and it just it wasn't coming across as much in the yelling it, it, it was more just, like, him just being angry. So you... And it's like, Sam is always angry. So you think he needed to be a less reserved during his kind of, like, big ol' freakout moments? Yeah. I think he kind of did. I, I think it just kind of felt like he was holding back. And it was kind of weird that he was holding back. Because this is, like, the only performance in the entire dub that I feel was, like, holding back when that happened. So I don't... It, I don't know what was going on with the direction there. Maybe they just thought it was fine. And it, it wasn't it wasn't deal-breaking for me or anything, but I was just kind of like, huh, it really feels like he should be yelling more here. And he wasn't, especially because Sam Ibrahim is kind of a shitbag. So, like, he's really not supposed to be likable in the way that Clark is. But that's just how I okay. feel. Let's start off with the Mueller's. Uh, Isabel, uh, Libica... I, I don't know if it's Lapika or Lipica, but I think uh, she does a she does a very good job sounding like a very sweet, supportive wife who's who basically has to deal with somebody who is disabled, who is dealing with trauma, and somebody who yeah I did as it's kind of mentioned kind of becomes obsessed and addicted to painkillers because that's what happens when. You have scars and burns and you can't feel your legs. You take painkillers to try and not deal with that. And when addictions happen, you kind of just have to do your best. And Isabel is somebody who's very much trying her best when she is basically at the end of her ropes. And she does basically participate in the heist a little bit too. She becomes a little bit of the, the convincing part. Basically trying to get... Edamora on their side as a mechanic, she kind of plays a part in that, and she's kind of excited, like, ooh, I got to play a part. That was really cool, actually. But you also see her, basically, it's like, her husband hasn't really come home. Not really for a long time. The one thing that made him happy, he can no longer be happy about. But I think Lipica does a good job having that, like, emotional, emotional roughness to it, and she does a great job. Neil Kaplan is no stranger, and he has just an amazing voice. He does a real g good job sounding like this rough and tough, uh... He's a he... 
basically as far as WW Air Force, uh, he is basically the heel, while Clark is much more of a babyface. I know enough about wrestling terminology to understand this, to have this conversation, where basically Clark and Lewis are very much good and evil as far as this goes, but Lewis played up the fact that he was evil and donated to humanitarian reliefs. Which, now that I think about it, I'm thinking some of the humanitarian stuff might have come about the other part of his characterization. The fact that he was an air pilot in the military during the Iraq War. And that there might be... I'm kind of headcanoning a lot of the humanitarian stuff. Might be a little bit of war guilt, actually. Also, if it wasn't obvious now, their names are Lewis and Clark. Motherfucker! Uh, <laughs> Ow! <laughs> Fuck. I didn't realize that until just now and I'm mad. You're right, and I hate the fact that you're right, but oh my god, that's actually Because <laughs> I thought you were talking about Sam, and you were just saying Lewis and Clark, and then I realized, oh no, Lewis Miller. Okay. No, so, yeah, like... All right. God, shit, you're right. I didn't even think of that, but... Neil Kaplan, uh, he does a fantastic job playing Neil as this kind of gruff, bitter, angry asshole who's angry for very understandable reasons, actually. He's kind of uncomfortable and unpleasant, but yeah, you would be when the things you like are basically not there anymore, and he's secretly been doing therapy because he wants to, he wants to do the things he loves again. But he also was a war criminal and effectively despite being a war criminal that kind of fucked with him that kind of fucked with him psychologically and he's a pilot despite the fact that because he loves flying and he wanted to get away from that and there's okay I'm, I'm rambling i'm not even talking about neil i'll say this right now quickly before i go into the actual performances in my personal opinion my favorite arc of Great Pretender is Singapore Sky. I don't think it's as tightly put together as um, as Los Angeles Connection, nor do I think it's as personal as uh, Snow of London, but I feel like this is, like, it is ambitious in ways that are pretty ballsy for anime, and I don't think it does a bad job at it. I think it even actually kind of goes some places you would expect, especially kind of acknowledging, yeah, a rock happened. It happened, and it fucked with a lot of people. Like, Abby's character is really, really going through a lot throughout the entirety of this arc. She's basically having trauma dreams every time she's in a plane. That's kind of a bad memory for her, and she kind of has to be a plane writer? A plane plane person? Despite... Pilot? Pilot. Pilot. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm trying to have a very serious dissection of this, and I'm also not wording good. Okay, sorry, I'm done talking about this arc. Neil Kaplan is fantastic. Uh, Arian, I think he does a very good job as Clark, as sexy Claude. I mean, Clark. Oh, uh, whatever. I think he does a good job. I think he's a little he's a little rough in some patches, but I think he does has a very good charm and charisma to him that makes him very likable. And very presentable, and he does a great job. A. Martel, uh, he does a great job making Sam Ibrahim sound like a total, uh, total scumbag. You want to see this dude get punched? 
wrecked, ruined, and it is great when it happens. Abe is just, he just makes my skin crawl, and you see him very much as, like, a slimy, sleazy capitalist, and he's just, oh, Abe is, Abe, Abe really sells how slimy Sam is, and it's great. But yeah, I think all of them are pretty good. I definitely say of the standouts, I'd probably say Abe and Neil. All right, Jet. Okay, so um, starting with uh, Leticia as uh, Isabel, I as I as I, I liked her. She had like a as I, uh, she had like a pretty good soft supporting tone to her voice. As I, uh, which was definitely necessary since Lewis is like obviously going through a lot. As I, as I, I'm sorry, so I thought she had like the right tone there, and I also, because I, I kind of liked a lot of, I kind of liked some of her interactions with the other characters, like Cynthia, where they kind of team up, where they kind of team up a little bit to help off the con, and I thought she, as I, I thought she did a pretty good job of like uh, helping to play along with uh, Cynthia's whole act when they were getting into more on the team. I thought that was a lot of fun, as I, and how like and how like excited Isabel was to like participate in the eyes. I thought that was pretty amusing. As I, as I, and, and again, when, like, Lewis is, like, having his whole, he's having some of his breakdowns, and, like, particularly that whole scene where he's confronted by Abby and, like, Isabella intervenes afterwards, I thought she did a really good job there. And, uh, yeah, I liked the performance. So, uh, Eric is as Clark, uh, he was, uh, he was a lot of fun. It would have been incredibly easy to make Clark, uh, come off as pretty slimy, or at least about, somewhere about as slimy as his brother is, but... Clark is clearly meant to be the more likable of the two, and Aaron definitely gets that across pretty well. He makes Clark come off as, like, a pretty fun-loving, kind of easygoing guy. And, like, there's a very natural charisma to his tone. That's a lot of fun. And, like, so, like, and even though his brother is a lot, you can kind of sympathize with him a little bit. And I think it helps that he does feel, like, pretty responsible for what happened to Lewis, and I thought that Aaron's performance simply got that across pretty well, and... That was a lot of fun, and again, I'm glad this character came back at least. Uh, he's definitely the one I didn't mind. He was a lot of fun, and I thought, and I thought he got like a pretty good bit in during the last heist. A Martell is Sam, um, as I, uh, I also thought he was a lot of fun here. He had like the, was, I thought he had like the right kind of snooty regal tone to his voice, that where he just kind of made Sam come off as like incredibly pretentious pretty much all the time. And you could really feel that in his turn, which made it easier to want to see this character get a ton of comeuppance. Especially during all his interaction with Cynthia and Abby, where he just comes off as very rude and dismissive to them because, like, ooh, it's time because, like, ooh, women don't belong in their race, but ooh, I'm not a misogynist. It's like, yeah, sure, whatever you say, buddy. Lastly, Neil Kaplan is Lewis. I thought he did a really good job here. I definitely liked his, like, very gruff to. I definitely like the like real kind of raw gruffness to his tone. It's like, and for some reason, the first time I watched this stuff, I kind of confused him for Michael Sorek a little bit. But uh, after a while, I could definitely hear it was Neil. I think Michael Sorek uh, was in this dub, but he was in the mini arc right before this. Yeah. He was the piece of shit that was uh, straight up like sexually harassing and firing uh, uh, Cynthia's old friend from London. I, I'm pretty sure that's who it was, which, yeah, no, that dude fucking sucked, and he got he got wrecked, and it was great. Yeah, but anyway, back to Lewis, I thought that Neil had, like, a really good kind of gruffness to his tone that made it clear this character was had been through a lot, and he's, like, clearly been, 
he's clearly very bitter about his circumstances and obviously cynical. I thought that all that came across really well in Neilstone. Because I, I, I thought he bounced off the other characters pretty well in that respect. And especially, especially in regards to his whole dynamic with Abby, where he's it's like where after she finds out the truth about him and confronts him, it's like, uh, he, it's like he kind of eggs her on a little bit because he really feels guilty about all the things he want, about all the things he's done and kind of wants to die. And, it's like, and, it's like, and I thought that Neil got that desperation across pretty well. I thought that I thought that was a really powerful scene, especially when he's saying like, "Oh, all I did was drop the giant turret out of the sky." It's like, like and he's like, and he's trying his best to sound like kind of cackling evil, but you can tell this is like a really painful memory of him for him. Yeah, so I thought that was pretty well. I, I thought that was all portrayed really well. If I have, if I have one complaint, it's, it's, I mean. Okay, it's not necessarily that they show tackles the whole Iraq war subject because I think I think it is really neat for I think it really is neat for modern anime because that's not that's not a that's not a particular topic we see covered a lot in pretty much any media these days, unfortunately, despite how prevalent it is. Mm. As I, uh, but it's, uh, but I do think the way they do tackles it specifically is maybe like a little a too little clean. clearer than it needed. To, it's, yeah, yeah, it's a little too clean. Uh, it's kind of a problem that comes up in a lot of the parts of the show in general. But it, but this very much feels this very much feels like it's kind of trying to go for this of a big Hollywood movie where you know you have to put a nice, big, neat, tidy bill on everything, and this is something where you kind of can't do that because again, this guy is like a war criminal. He he's living with the memory of like a he's living with the memory of like literally bombing a bunch of people. This is. He's like, nah, nah, that's not like that's not a thing you can overcome all that easily. To the fact that the art kind of ends with him having some sense of closure feels a little like weird. Okay, maybe don't, like maybe don't give him total closure. Like if you give the person he's like maybe moving along a little bit, but not like okay, he's got like total closure now. It's like yeah, maybe don't do that. Okay, I I do see what you're saying. I don't think I I think it's a valid criticism. I don't think it's that big an issue in this one it's particularly. A, it, it, yeah, no, yeah, 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 I don't, yeah, I don't think it's a particularly big issue in this arc. Like, I think it works just it well, works enough, that just well like, enough that I was able to be like, okay, you know what? That's a good ending. Is it, yeah, yeah, it works just well enough that I was like, yeah, this is fine. And on the whole, this probably was, like, one of my favorite arcs, personally. It's just, yeah, it's just, like, when it came to the topic, it's like, I appreciate that you did this. I very much appreciate you tried. Like, this maybe should have gone through like maybe one more rewrite, but I definitely appreciate that you tried. I will also add two two things that just hit me. One, I love. I lo I actually forgot about this. I love Neil's delivery when he's just kind of chilling in the plane, and he just kind of says, "I'm home." Like, there's just a like this very gruff, angry bitter traumatized character just has this moment of levity of just says i'm home and like the softest i've ever heard out of neil is really really good and b i really realize i should have seen that uh i should have seen that lewis is basically the antithesis of abby because much like abby he spends the entirety of the arc flipping people off i mean we see a lot of people flipping the bird in the show so but those two in particular, I'm like, oh, that's a good foil. They both want to die, and they both flip everybody off. 
Okay, but okay, but yeah, okay, but yeah. On the whole, I definitely like Neil's performance. I thought he was probably the best out of the section easily, and all these performances were very good. Um, I'll start with the Ibrahim brothers. Um, I thought Clark did a really good job as sort of the the cocky flyboy. Um, his interactions with Abby were really good. He was just kind of a ladies' man who was schmoozing around. Um, kind of similar to his brother, Sam. Just a little, you know, not as scuzzy. Abe Martell just oozes as Sam. It was great watching him sort of build himself up only to get his comeuppance at the end of the arc. And I also think, um... Ariane did a really good job of reining in the performance Abe gave as Sam. Uh, I think they they both kind of worked really well with one another, and I do have to agree with Lack though that his more his bigger his more yelly, I guess is the word I'm looking for. His those scenes it just didn't feel um, as impactful as it could have been. Right, except for one. And that is the scene where he's in the, um, he's in the fake casino after it had been basically set up to, um, invalidate Clark's win so that they, they could rob him for everything I like that done. he wears a fat suit. Like, I think that freak out. Is that what that was? You know I thought what? he was just that fat. Was that was actually suit. a fat suit, yeah. Seems like a I, I was lot of unnecessary looked, work, but... Uh, he really wanted to make <laughs> he sure. He looked a bit rounder in the... In yeah, the like, I don't think he could just pull that off. I think he straight up had a fat suit on. Like, I think the freak out at the very end of the arc, that felt kind of genuine. But I do I do see where Black was coming from with sort of the, the earlier stuff. I, I'm, I'm really not trying to, like, hate on him at all. I think his performance was good. It's just, I feel like that just kind of stood out to me. You know? Yeah, I mean, overall, this is also his and Arion's first anime, so yeah. So it's there's bound to be a few hiccups here and there, and it and it again, it wasn't enough to det detract from the dub. So no, um, I definitely do hope to hear more of them in anime moving forward. Um, yeah, sure. I, I think NYAV would be a great home for them in terms of anime voiceover. I think Lapika actually did a really great job as Isabel, just sort of holding things together for Lewis's sake. You could tell that there were a couple points where she wanted to just walk away and she didn't. Like, I, I thought the performance was really good, and God, Neil Kaplan is Lewis. Just, it perfectly encapsulated his sort of simmering anger and post-traumatic stress. Like, Oh, it was so good. Um, definitely the standout of Singapore Sky. This was a really solidly performed arc as mm -hmm. well. Um, and it's definitely up there as one of my favorites. But my actual favorite is the one we are about to talk mm, about yeah. now. Uh, Snow Over uh, London. Snows of London, I think is what it's called. No, I think it, it, oh, yeah, it of, is just Snow of London. Oh, Snow of London. Okay. It's snowing on Mount Fuji. <laughs> Edamora accidentally sells a priceless painting for 20,000 euros. Because of course he did. He feels so bad about it. Because of it. course he did. Like, he tricks an art critic into buying it, and it turns out it was worth about, I want to say it was about 
twenty thousand. Twenty million. Or, it was in the millions. No, it was about a thousand times more than what he yeah. sold it for. So he decides to turn around and screw this guy over. Well, it's more to help the people that he kind of that need the money. Yeah, basically, so. yeah. In the process of selling this painting, he inadvertently screws over a family he had been staying at in Paris. In order to screw over this this art critic, James Coleman, uh, basically the 007 the of, 007 the art of the art world. What a fucking pretentious name! It's delicious. <laughs> to be fair, he I didn't mean, give it to himself. It, let's just say comeuppance is had. Because if we talk a little more about how much the scheme worked, it's like y'all gotta watch the show. It's it's it's, it's good. It yeah. is satisfying. It is a it is a heartbreaking arc. Oh also. yeah. So, unfortunately, I do have to sort of break it down a little bit as I talk about the characters. Um, so, as I said, James Coleman is the considered the 007 of the art world. He is British. He is stuck up. You meet him absolutely eviscerating a sushi restaurant, which is not even what he is a critic of. So I don't know because why he's just that. an asshole. <laughs> Yeah, you don't really need no reason. Well, that, that was the funny thing. I thought he was a food critic when we first saw him. I also thought that. I, I kind of forgot that that's the first time we see him. James Coleman's scheme is basically he uses an heiress by the name of Farrah Brown as his own personal piggy bank to put art up for auction. She'll buy it, and then it's technically his. And the last character uh, was originally Cynthia's fiance. A very talented artist by the by the name of Thomas Meyer. But his particular talent was to create counterfeits. That James Coleman absolutely tries to use to his advantage. And in the end, he ends up being the linchpin of the plan to take him down. Catharsis is great. Uh, so in any case, James Coleman is played by Trevor Duvall. Farrah Brown by Julie Nathanson. And Thomas Mayer by Eric Teed. Trevor Duvall is actually kind of an interesting name to see in this dub. Because he has done other anime dubs before. Just not in the US. Really? He is better known for his work with the Ocean Group in dubs such as Black Lagoon and Death Note. Wait, who's he in those? Uh, in uh, Death Note, I'm pretty sure he was Aizawa, right? I, I think he's Chang in... Uh, Black Lagoon. Really? Okay. So, so he's a Canadian. And then he's a Canadian Note, actor. Yeah, he's Canadian. And he's playing a British guy. And in Death Note, he's the cop with the afro. So, yeah, so, yeah, that was either one. He was like he was. Probably I think Eric Teed is the only one of these three actors who's actually British. Okay, that you know what that doesn't surprise me, but he does a pretty good job at it. Yeah, no, well, Trevor Duvall is a very good actor. Okay. So. Julie Nathanson, you would know from her work in the... Uh, she's not in Final Fantasy thirteen. She's in the sequels mm. to it. And also other assorted properties related to where, where Final Fantasy thirteen characters show up. And then she's also in those um, Ninjala OVAs. I can't remember if they were put in the e-store or if they were put up on YouTube. And Eric Teed is yet another up-and-comer mainly involved in um video game and walk-on parts in tv and film cool okay apparently he's been on ghost whisperer ncis grim okay. stuff like that yeah apparently he's british american 
Alright, so I think I'll start things off with Jet. So I'll start with uh, Joey Nathanson as far as I thought. I thought he did a pretty good job of just like, you know, playing this kindly old debutante who is very clearly being manipulated. And it's pretty easy to feel sorry for her. She definitely has the right tone where you can tell like she's really doing her best to support this guy who clearly does not think very highly of her. And it's like, and it's like, and it kind of feel and it is kind of easy to feel sorry for her when she's like very desperately trying very desperately trying to do his bidding and like raise a, and like raise a bit as high as she can even when it's really clearly the greater finances and I thought I thought Julie handled all that really well. Also while we are talking about him, I kind of like how she bounced off of like her but how she bounced off of Ferris Butler. I thought they had like a pretty good dynamic you could I, yeah, you can tell the butler definitely like thought of her. Definitely thought of her as like a good friend, even though she uh, clearly didn't think that. Well, not clearly didn't think that highly of him, but like wasn't taking his opinion that seriously. I don't think she didn't think and, that. I think it's that she was just kind of like blind to her own feelings that she kind of lashed out at him. Yeah, she was like very clearly kind of blind to love and all that. So. I said, but yeah, I thought yeah, yeah, I thought they had a pretty good dynamic. I kind of liked their whole like. I kind of like the I kind of like the whole reconciliation idea, and I hope those two get together. Uh, but, so, but yeah, uh, yeah, I thought Julie did a I thought Julie did a good job here. Uh, so, uh, Eric T is Thomas. Uh, obviously, this isn't a name I'm familiar with, but I thought he did a really good job here. So, uh, Thomas is a very interesting character. Uh, you kind of see, I liked a lot of his moments with Zippy in the earlier days, where you kind of see him as like this struggling up and coming artist where he's just kind of where you know he's not making a lot of money but he's like clearly happy with what he's doing and i thought that thomas got that across pretty well as well because like you know a lot of his like struggles with like wanting to be more famous and kind of wanting his name to be acknowledged i thought he got that across pretty well too and enough that when james comes strolling in and like offers to pay him all this money to make those replicas you can say you can believe he's desperate enough to prove himself that he would kind of fall for that and what's that like? And when everything kind of falls apart, and he like, and he sees his works being painted up as the original, despite the fact that they aren't, and how that kind of devastates him. I thought, I thought Eric did a really good job at that moment. And then like, when you kind of see Thomas years later, and he's just kind of a broken shell now. Um, I thought Eric had like the right kind of gruffness for compared to how he started in those younger days. And that that made for like a pretty interesting contrast, and I think just like in general, the whole concept of the character is kind of interesting. Like, I saw it in the uh, this week in anime post about the show, where like I think like the story with him in particular is kind of interesting as far as like the whole concept of card artists go, where it's like, and you know like the whole value of like is a real thing and following like, the original and all that. I thought that was like. I thought that was kind of interesting to explore with this thing where it's like, well, even if it's not like the, even if it's not like the original paintings, it's clear he like put a lot of work into the stuff he was doing and that's kind of valuable in its own sense. And I think that's kind of like an interesting perspective. So I thought that was kind of neat to explore. Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, so, yeah, but anyway, uh, putting all those uh, semi deep thoughts aside, uh, the real fun uh, sorry, the real fun set out of the segment was definitely Trevor Duvall as James Coleman because uh, Studio 7 over here was uh, definitely a lot of work. And Studio 7? 
Was that what you just yes, said? Yes, that's what I'm going with. Yes, yes, Studio 7, that's what I'm going with. Fucked! <laughs> oh, that's good. Oh, that's good. As I have it, yeah, the, it, yeah. The, from the second you hear, from the moment you hear this guy, he just comes off as like extremely pretentious, and, and like the most, and he just has like the most possible face in the world, and and Trevor just exudes that energy perfectly. As I, as I pretty much everything that comes out of his mouth is kind of like him looking down on other people, and uh, and, he, and he definitely just has the right voice for an art critic. Just like, and so it's and so it's just a lot, so it's a lot of fun watching him. Uh, it's also uh, like it's also fun watching him like manipulate Farah and like the way he tr uh, and the way he treated Thomas in his younger days. But I thought, but uh, but regardless, I thought that Trevor really just had like the just uh, just like the right amount of scenery for all those moments. And he's where this is clearly a guy who very much thinks the world of himself, and Trevor just really gets that across perfectly. And, and there's just there's just something about his tone that's so much that's so fun. It's just kind of hard to describe perfectly. That it's just good. Glorious. It's good. Yeah, and also like I was saying before, like this guy is also uh, this guy is also pretty racist. And I thought that and I thought that Trevor had like the perfect kind of like racist British guy's tone too. Like it was something I it was something I didn't notice until I watched like the Mother's Basement video about the show. So we're, we're like we're like he's talking with Edmore and he said something along the lines of your English is adequate and I was like, Oh man, I didn't catch it, but like, oh man. That pretty much says it all. So yeah, so yeah, it's really fun watching this guy get his comeuppance. And, and Trevor really just gave him the voice of the kind of guy you really want to see get dunked on. And I mean in and I mean in general art art critics kinda of suck and it's kind of fun watching those kind of high society people get dumped on, so Oh, the yeah, people who the think art. they're better than everybody which is oh It's funny when you grow up playing like Sly Cooper like I did. And this has a very Sly yeah. Cooper kind of vibe yeah. to it. So I'm so yeah, all these performances were a lot of fun. Trevor Server Devala particular was really great and yeah, good stuff. All right, Andrew, what did okay, you Okay, so I'll start off with uh, Farrah. Uh, Julie Nathanson has a very... She's got a very, like, sincere but naive tone of voice to her where you could tell, like, she's very earnest and sweet. She's she's very... You could tell she's regal and rich, but she doesn't... She's not, like... She does not actively look down on anybody. She just kind of is wealthy and appreciate, appreciates the arts. She's madly, she's madly infatuated with James to her detriment. And it's just kind of like, it's kind of satisfying where it's like in a way that while they're trying to get comeuppance for, Jay, for James, they're also kind of like by the end of it, they're trying to save Farah from a really toxic relationship. Like that's something I noticed like where it's like Ab Abigail's very much kind of like doing this halfway to make the heist work, but also halfway to kind of get Farah out of this, where where she goes talks to Tim. Uh, she's very sweet. She does a good job. She's got a very good tone of voice. And it is very satisfying when she is able to get out of that relationship and gets her own... She, she starts her own public gallery of all the work she bought. I'm like, ooh, that's so satisfying. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh yeah, I did like that scene. It's so satisfying because his his whole deal is that he literally just wanted a fucking room all to himself, and instead 
she opens it to the public for all to appreciate the beauty and magnificence of the art collection. I'm like, oh, that's... Oh, that's so cathartic. Oh, it's so good. Arts before thoughts. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, but yeah, no, Julie's good. Thomas is basically a tragic story in and of itself. Is basically the young starving artist who is pretty much struggling not getting anywhere in life. But basically just he likes what he does and he has that passion. He has that desire for art and just creativity and he's young, dumb, in love, not a penny to his name, who finds somebody he genuinely cares about. And when he is blinded by greed, avarice, and selfish desire, it basically destroys that relationship. And he pretty much puts himself in debt and pretty much starving again because he can't bear to see a world where where his fakes are being imitated. And that's tragic, but you can tell he really feels about this. And he does a he does a piece so good that it's able to fool him. And Edamora's just like, fuck it. I don't care about your art bullshit. This is better than the real thing because I saw a guy pretty much put his blood, sweat, and tears into this. This is better. I wanted it. But the thing with Eric is that he's just got this very soft, earnest, like... He's a very meek guy when you meet him at first, but he opens up and he's just very sweet, soft-spoken artist. And then you kind of see him, like, consumed with greed and, like, desires of something bigger. And then he's kind of washed up and you see all of that. I actually, as tragic as it is, I actually kind of like that, in a way, it did not end with Cynthia and him getting back together. It never was going to happen. That was never going to happen. But I feel yeah. it's actually more satisfying and gratifying that it ended with with them reconciling and having that closure yeah. because they both deserved it and they were able to like really move on with their lives because of it. It's tragic that their blossoming relationship kind of never came to be because of James, but they are different people, but they can live their lives and they can move forward because of it. I think Eric's voice is very earnest, sweet, and very good. I think he has a little struggle sometimes doing some of the more dramatic moments. I think he pushes himself a little bit that he's not quite comfortable with, but I think he does a good job playing this meek, sweet, earnest British artist and does a great job. Trevor Duvall is just fucking chewing the scenery and oh my god, he is such a delicious <laughs> piece of shit. Oh, he's such an asshole. Oh, he's such a cockhead. Oh, he's such a knob. Oh, it's so good watching him get a shit wrecked. Oh, he just... He is just this delicious art piece of shit. Oh, he just... Ooh, I hate him so much. He's perfect. Oh, he's so good. I want to punch him in the face. He's great. Great job, Trevor. But yeah, no, this dude is straight up a toxic... Uh, he is an art... Who, he is basically what happens when... he th When art should only be appreciated by the esteemed high class who can appreciate it. And not to be enjoyed and consumed by all. He thinks it should be for him and him alone. And he is a manipulative piece of shit. He does not actually appreciate the value of art for the world. He just thinks I appreciate it the best, therefore it belongs to me. Uh, what I'm saying is uh, 
What I'm saying is James Coleman would have absolutely been a persona boss. <laughs> He's yeah. that level of piece of shit. But God, Trevor Duvall is fucking perfect. I'm done. Yeah, I think what's basically been said about uh, Trevor Duvall is James Coleman has pretty much already been said. Um, what I really liked about Julie Nathanson as Farrah Brown is just the vulnerability she really brought to the performance. You really feel for her. And the performance of that really comes across through her voice acting. And the fact that she really is just a woman who's genuinely in love with, with James and is willing to just, like, let him use her in this way because she feels such a connection to him. And it's really tragic and it's really sad. And I think that's balanced extremely well with the heartbreaking story of Thomas and Cynthia. And it's it's funny about the way Eric plays Thomas and his voice acting because if you watch Castlevania, you notice that that is a very common like way that British voice actors <laughs> tend to sound. <laughs> where they kind of do this very subdued performance. But my god, if you really wanted an example of how great the voice acting is in this show... Just the scenes of Thomas and Cynthia are just the the primo example of how good this dub really is. It, it was, first of all, it was some of the best directing and storytelling of the entire show, in my opinion. I honestly felt more for Thomas and Cynthia than I did for Dorothy and Lamont. I just, it, it really was so good. And Eric Teed and the voice actress for Cynthia did such a great job in those scenes. And you just really see them go from being these, you know nice people you know to having the world basically dropped on their shoulders and them going in different directions and it's uh and it's really sad to see and yeah i i the in particular the thomas and cynthia scenes are the reason that i consider snow of london the best arc in the entire Mm, series okay mostly just because i'm a sucker for that kind of storytelling it it, it very much like snow of london feels like Snow of London feels like a old school like drama play. There is tragedy, there is comedy, there is comeuppance, there is catharsis. There is like this feel the entirety of Snow of London could be a stage play in a sense. And the fact that you have a villain like James Coleman who I don't know if he was necessarily the best villain of the series, but he was well, the best villain is Lamont. But we'll get into that later. Uh, <laughs> but, um, it, yeah, it just... The whole story came together, and the performances in this one in particular, I think, are the strongest. I'd also say, we prob- whether so. you realize it or not, you are at least familiar or have crossed paths with somebody who is kind of a holier-than-thou snob like James Coleman. I feel he is definitely the most right. relatable villain Although we'll get into my favorite villain in the next one, I think. I guess I'll start with uh, Eric Teen Thomas. Um, I I have to agree with Lack. I I like that it was sort of a little more subdued, a little more... His story arc was emotional, but it wasn't like outwardly pouring out his regrets and all that. I like the fact that he sort of played it a bit more down-to-earth. I, I like Julie Nathanson's sort of naivete with Farrah Brown. And I think she got a really great end character arc for it when uh, she ultimately releases her art. And God, Trevor Duvall as James Coleman. Like, 
all of the the villains in this series play things with such a great amount of sleaze and Trevor Duvall is no different. Like James Coleman absolutely knows what he's what he wants in life and he can't, he doesn't care how many throats he has to step on in order to get to it. I really like hearing Trevor in sort of a more villain capacity. So it's great. I I I have to agree with Lack that um Snow of London is probably my favorite of the four story arcs. And all three of these performances are absolutely solid. Um, and also great development for Cynthia, who we'll get to in a sec. So, our last section for sort of the four cases. Uh, and here's episode. where things uh, get bumpy. Wizard of the Far East. Okay. It clearly did not bother me as much as it bothered you three, so... Alright, so I'm gonna go with a brief rundown so you guys okay. know what we're talking about. Hopefully you've already seen the show, but in case you haven't, um... Edamura is trying to go straight. Again. He gets a job at a business firm. He gets to go around the world, do cool stuff, and oh yeah, turns out the main export of this company he's working for... is Child the trafficking. There's people! They're trafficking children into Japan. And out. And within this is also a mini story arc involving uh, Laurent and his uh, and his ex-fiancee, Dorothy, whom they meet at, during a con supposedly gone wrong, but actually went really right. So they do a lot of successful heists, and then they try to screw over this triad group. And it goes very, very south very, very quickly. And Laurent wants revenge. The only way he knows how. By screwing these people over. Then effectively it becomes kind of training um, for for a big con. And this is the big con. And it's how, uh, yeah, th yeah, this is very, yeah, uh, this is very much, this very much feels like the equivalent of a show to jump final arc. Kind of, sort of, but I, uh, yeah, okay. All right. First of all, we have Akemi Suzaku, the head of the, the Suzaku group. Um, she is basically in charge of this human trafficking operation. And then you sort of have the way, way lower level grunt Ishigami, who gets Edamura kind of caught up in all this. And Xiaolu is sort of the head of the, of the Chinese side of this company. Um, and he's basically preparing for war with, uh, with Suzaku, as Suzaku is preparing for war with him. And now you have an interesting character, Seiji Ozaki, known as the Wizard. And Oz, but you can't say the two of them together, it's Let's weird. not even go into the fact that, like... Oh, yeah, BT dubs, he's Edamora's father. Oh, yeah. Akemi uh, Suzaku is played by Sachi Okei. Ishigami by James Taku Lung, Jalu by Vic Chow, and Seiji Ozaki by Kirk Thornton. Um, Sachi Okei is a name you probably wouldn't recognize, uh, but she has done motion capture work for Ghost of Tsushima. James Taku Lung, again, probably wouldn't recognize him too, too much, but he does ADR looping for oh, cool. Hollywood movies. Oh, that, that's actually really cool, actually. Vic Chow, you would know from such things as 
Final Fantasy VII Remake and Seismanos. Kirk Thornton, you would know from such things as Samurai Champloo and Naruto Shippuden. I think the thing that makes this arc the biggest, that makes this thing kind of a a mess to talk about is that... It tries to do too many things at It's once. trying to do too many things. It's trying to be really dark. It's trying to be really ambitious. It's trying to be like this really big climactic finale. And I feel like trying to make it like big... Here's the thing that I realized about Great Pretender. The bigger it goes in scope, the less focused and the kind of messier it gets. Because this is, a, this is the biggest scope it gets. This is a revenge story. This is about Makoto, and this is also about Laurent's past. This is about the Yakuza, the Triad, a gang war, and child trafficking. And it has no idea what the fuck it's doing with some of those elements. It literally drops the element of child trafficking. Because they can't... They literally don't know what the fuck to do it. They frame themselves in a corner. They're so casually talking about child trafficking. They don't know what they're doing. It's, yeah, it, yeah, it really is annoying how much that just like gets put in the back. Like they comment on that for like maybe the first couple of episodes of the arc, and then it's completely put on the back burner until the very last episode, where it's like, oh yeah, hey, remember those kids? They have a good setup where it's like, man, going too deep into a job fucks you up, but they really don't go into that too much. They kind of mention that in passing as a sort of, is Makoto really gonna fall to the dark side or not? Yeah, if he doesn't, but they act like he will for some reason. But he's also in the fucking right when he does go off. Like, yeah, no. God, he does have <laughs> trust issues. He's right to have trust issues. But here's the thing. The scope of this arc is too fucking big. It's a fucking... It's actually a mess. Like, here's the thing. I think there's a lot of things that are really good about it. I love the arc with Dorothy and Loran. I love that little pseudo arc. I think it's got some really great moments. It's got some really great character moments. I kind of like the fact that it's a little dubious about whether somebody will fall too deep. But I think it's literally too ambitious for its own good. And as we were kind of alluding to in Singapore Sky, they, they go a little too clean. They put a little bit of a too neat of a bow on the whole Iraq war thing. God, this is too neat of a bow for child trafficking. Some, yeah, some of those kids are still some of those kids are still sold, and it, and in the grand scheme of things, the child traffickers don't get screwed over that much. Like it, like here, it ends with them getting stuck in an island, but like, it's implied that Makoto reunited like the Yakuza lady with her long lost son, which is like, did that bitch deserve it? No. I feel making a grand finale where the scope was so big, so dramatic so personal and like so finale-ish it really shot itself in the foot yeah and going back to makoto's like whole speeds and towards the puddle episode thing like again is it like again he was more or less annoyed in that moment and you really want to root for him and then it's kind of undermined by the moment that uh in his grand scheme to school Laurent, he recruited all the previous villains from the other which fucking why for the previous arcs all of them which is like why would you do that? Kasano, I kind of buy because he's got guns and power. But what the fuck is Sam Ibrahim doing there? What the fuck's James Coleman going to do against the Yakuza? Fucking bitch about Toyeski? I don't fucking know. See, but it's not even the whole, like, relationship aspect about me. It's like, bringing them back kind of defeats any commentary you would have about these people sucking. Because it's like, oh, well, these people suck. But, like, weren't they fun? 
Yeah, sorry. This it, I had to get there. that out of there because it was going to bug the shit yeah. out of me, and it was going to turn into a twenty-minute tirade in these sections. Was that okay? So uh, I mean, well, I, I mean, I could be pretty quick with Vic Chow because I mean, he was speaking Chinese for like basically the entire time. And so I, so I definitely, I, I definitely, I definitely enjoyed. And so I, so I definitely enjoyed the performance. He definitely like gave off the right amount of like. Charisma for a triad boss, and I definitely did kind of like that whole speech with his underling about like the whole process of translation. I thought that was really fascinating. Is that hey, I'm glad they got somebody who can speak Chinese for this character because I mean, going the extra mile on that could not have been easy. But I'm really glad they, I'm really glad they went with that. Okay, question: Was that actor used in the Japanese dub as well? I am or... pretty sure. Uh, I mean, Vic Chow has done stuff in the West, so I'm pretty sure that would be a no. Okay. Did he speak Chinese in the Japanese dub? Probably. Is that probably? Okay. I I, yeah, th- I believe he probably was speaking uh. Chinese. Like. Uh, but so, uh, but anyway, uh, moving on to uh, James Takuwaga Ishigami, I thought he was a lot of fun. He had like the, like, he had the right kind of like disgruntled, kind of like disgruntled grunt voice. Is that where he is that where he's a guy who's like he's been on this job a long time. He very much kind of understands the way everything works, and it's a, it's a, any kind of made the piece with the job. He's kind of made his peace with the job, and he thinks that, like, uh, well, someday I'm going to have to take on all the... Like, someday the job's going to get handed over to me, and I'll have all this responsibility, and, like, I guess it'll be worth it in the end. But then, but then Makoto comes along, and, like, the boss favors him, and he's... He underestimated the power of a mama's boy. Yeah, uh, he's... Uh, uh, yeah, like, he's... Uh, and he's not... And he's clearly not very happy about that, and I thought that James got that across pretty well, but... But at the same time, he but at the same time he kind of has he and Makoto have to have a pretty good kind of have a pretty good rapport or at least enough of it that I can kind of buy that he is like a little disappointed when Makoto betrays him in the beginning and then kind of equally disappointed when like <laughs> when it can't be decided to spare him anyway and he and Makoto just keeps going along with the job. So, 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 so yeah, I thought he, so yeah, I thought James I thought James was a lot of fun here and I didn't. It's like, and if and if we did appreciate him, like at the very end of the show, where they're all stuck on the island, and he just so like like everyone else is just kind of like made the peace with the fact that they're stuck on the island, and he's just like, no, oh, please. I actually really liked. I actually really liked the cold open to the final episode because it was a nice callback to the first episode. Yeah. Um. So. Um. Tatsuki okay is um, a cubby. I thought. I thought he was really good. He had like the. Right commanding presence for a yak like for a yakuza boss. You can definitely tell that this is not a lady you would want to screw with. She, uh, she, uh, she definitely had the right amount of presence in pretty much all her dealings with her underlings. And uh, there was just this really kind of regal tone to her voice. It was kind of really captivating to listen to, and I really liked it a lot. So I also thought, I also thought she had like a pretty good dynamic with Makoto. I mean. Again, the whole, like, weird kind of pseudo-mommy thing was not a sub-arc I was particularly a fan of because I thought they tried to make you sympathize with her a little too much considering she's trafficking children, but uh, regardless, I thought that Satya did a good job. That's a, that's a very Yakuza movie thing to do. So. I guess, but even then, it's like, I feel like, I feel like they do kind of make it clear she sucks, but... I think it's a little too he's like, no, open ended. Yeah, 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 yeah. There are clearly there are clearly a couple of scenes where you're supposed to be like, oh well, she's clearly very kind of 
where, right, where it's like, yeah, she's traffic children, but she's clearly like very exhausted and kind of tired. And it's like, yeah, I don't care. She's trafficking children. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you gonna? Okay, and uh, last week, uh, Kirk Thornton is Oz. I mean, this is a very kind of Kirk Thornton role. It's got a little bit of everything. It's got him being kind of a little... It's got him being a little bit of a sleazeball when we're reintroducing a character and he, like, seemingly betrays Makoto. He has... Plus, uh, he has, like, the right kind of tone where it makes you think that he's just somebody who's trying to... Somebody who's just kind of, like, made peace with the fact that he's just kind of the scum of the earth now and that he's willing to sell out his own son... And then we get to the, like, and then we get to the reveal that he's actually like a pretty decent-ish dad, which again got a mixed feelings on that. But I said, uh, but I thought Kirk had like the right kind of tone for that too. So, uh, he had the uh, he had the right kind of energy where he could kind of tell this is like a guy, where he could kind of tell he's like the team dad in a sense, and he's kind of like looking out for everyone. And I thought that Kirk did a pretty. Good job with that tune, and I thought he did a pretty good job, like, bouncing off of Dorothy and Laurent. As I am, I thought most of it, I thought he did a pretty good job, but most of it seems with Makoto, even if, again, I'm not really a fan of how their whole arc went. Uh, but anyway, uh, but anyway, I thought Kirk Thornton did a good job here. I liked all these performances. All right. Um, Andrew, do you have some quick opinions on these guys? Akemi and Ishigami are very dubious characters i think they're, it's very interesting to he hear because i think for the most part i'm not sure how what is the best way to say this i'm not sure if this is the natural tones of these actors or not or if it sounds like they're putting a little more emphasis on the accent work or not that's something i'm kind of curious about i'm not sure if that was the decision that was reached that being said i think they do that both uh, Sachio and uh, James. I think James and Sachio do a pretty strong job. I think they do a really good job. Uh, like I said, Sachio is very intimidating, very unsettling, very uncomfortable, but she is kind of sweet and motherly in a weird way, but it, I do believe it. Uh, James is very much a uh, beat-down uh, office guy who's also a creepy Yakuza man who's it's kind of funny watching him get drunk and it's fun uh vic vic chow he's really he does a really good job but i don't have too much of an opinion on him because he doesn't get to say too much that i'm particularly familiar with though i think the whole discussion about translation and like some of the dr dramatic scenes with him are pretty convincing kirk thornton does a really good job as ozaki he's got a lot of different sides to him I think it's also kind... He does a good job conveying that this life is basically... Being a confidence man is basically kind of a drug. You are just falling deeper and deeper. And if you are not, if you don't know how to pull yourself out of it, you're going to get addicted and you're going to get, like, lost. Like, for better or for worse, because of their heist, their greedy heisting, he basically wound up in jail for years and basically became locked into the Yakuza... Into the, the triads... There's a lot more commentary about falling too deep and losing yourself in a character that I feel like the show really did not know how to tackle. I think that's still my big issue with this arc, is that it has so many good, powerful, deep ideas that it it literally can't handle. It literally, it quite literally all topples over like that fake tower. Uh, Kirk Thornton is a really good actor. He does a great job as Ozaki, and Ozaki... Whack? 
Um, yeah, not much to add. Um, I, except I will give a, everybody here was good. Um, and it's really cool to hear, uh, Chinese, like being spoken in English dub. I really love that. Particularly, I want to talk about, uh, Okay as a Kemi Suzaku. She was just phenomenal in this, in my opinion. First of all, it's really cool to hear an actual Japanese voice actor play a Japanese role in an English dub. I just, I love that. I live for that kind of shit. Um, I don't necessarily think it's necessary in a dub, but it's cool when it happens. But she was so good because there were times where I almost found myself kind of liking her. And I know based on everything you guys said, that's pretty messed up. But in my defense, these are fictional people. So... <laughs> no, I get it. It's just... Her her commitment to to Edamame was very good and very convincing in uh, in Sachioke's performance, and I I think that's really what attracted me to it, and I think that's what made me think she was the most interesting and the best villain of the series so far. Because as as despicable as she is, there was still humanity there, and it was really interesting to watch, and that's why I really liked her as a villain. With guys like James Coleman, there's no humanity there. There's nothing. There's nothing terribly interesting about him. He's just scum. Akemi is it is actually really interesting because there's still a human element to her. I think that's basically all I had to say. But yeah, like uh, everyone was good, especially um especially Kirk Thornton is uh Ozaki. But yeah, no, I just but Kirk Thornton's always good. He's he's been good for 20 years now. Um but Sachi okay, I really liked her, and I really hope we can hear her in more dubs later on, because I just really, really liked her. Okay, so Vic Chow as Xiao Lu, I really liked. Um, I know mainly it was almost entirely in Chinese with a handful of scenes being in English. Uh, still really great. He was really intimidating, really menacing presence. Um, same can be said about Akami. Stole the scene when she was... She was in the room. She was just this great intimidating presence throughout the show, but she was also weirdly motherly to uh, Edamora. I loved Ishigami just being a sniveling middleman. Kirk Thornton, despite the thorns of his story arc, uh, does a really good job with what he's handed. So with that, we are getting to our first batch of Characters that sort of recur throughout all four of the individual acts. We're talking about um, team all, confidence. The people Luron has hired and trained in order to sort of do the final heist. Um, Cynthia Moore showed up first in um, case one, posing as an FBI agent. Uh, she owns an island. She rich, she hot. It's the whole package. <laughs> the whole yep. The whole package, really. Kudo is a con man working in Japan who basically trained Edamora in the game and is basically involved in the second, third, and fourth heists of the show. Uh, Shion Kim has basically been with the crew from the very beginning, basically setting up scams and letting everybody go do their thing. Um, Dorothy, as I had mentioned before, is Laurent's um, ex-fiance. She is killed supposedly in the uh okay we're, we're just going with that okay in the uh in the botched heist in the botched of, uh, first attempt on the uh, china group 
But spoiler alert, she gets better. Okay, I, I mean, I mean, I mean, honestly, that was the kind of setup where it's like, yeah, there's no way she was actually dead. Yeah. So in any case, um, Cynthia Moore is played by Laura Post. Also, kind of an interesting aside in the Japanese dub, there is a scene where Cynthia speaks English, where she is voiced by Reba Burr. Really? Yeah. Huh. Like that whole translation scene. Um, I think somewhere in. Case four, she's played by Reba Burr in the Japanese That's show. That's interesting. Okay. Weird, but... Kudo is played by Mike Pollock. Uh, Shion Kim by Karen Hui. And Dorothy by Laura Stahl. Uh, you would know Laura Pose from such things as the Viz dub of Sailor Moon and Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba. Uh, Mike Pollock from things such as Promare and basically all of the Sonic the Hedgehog franchise. Karen Hui, uh, the only anime role I could see to her name is uh, Ghost in the Shell 2 Innocence. And Dorothy is played by Laura Stahl, who you would know from Welcome to Demon School Iruma-kun and Mobile Suit Gundam Thunderbolt Bandit Flower. So let's start the opinions with Lack. Okay, so Dorothy. Dorothy is a really interesting character in the fact that she only shows up in the last few episodes of the series. Um, but she makes a very big impact, not only because of her, like, noticeable design, she's got a very interesting character design, but um, just how much she kind of takes over the series. And I think Laura Stahl really manages to, like, find a way to bring that to her performance. I remember liking it a lot. I, I like the fact that she kind of plays Dorothy as kind of this happy-go-lucky type character, which I think is how you're supposed to play the character anyway. But I, I just like the fact that there's a lot of personality to her voice when she plays her. It's it's almost this sort of um, bubbly performance, which I think is great, which is a great contrast to the type of character that Dorothy actually is. There's not totally much to say about the character because she doesn't appear for very long. Uh, I liked Kudo a lot. Kudo was fun, and it was fun to hear Mike Pollock in this kind of uh, role. It's, it's a role that suited him very well. He's very good at playing those kind of characters. Kudo is supposed to be this goofy kind of character, and, and Mike Pollock is really good with that kind of stuff. And the voice suited Kudo a lot, because M- Mike's got that great, rough, older guy voice, and it really works well for uh, for a character like Kudo, uh, especially who's like a con man, like a like a, a low-tier con man compared to everybody else in the series, even Edamame. Not much to terribly say. I mean, he was great in all the scenes that he was in, uh, but Kudo's not that big of a player so Cynthia on the other hand Cynthia was really great Laura Post was fantastic in the role specifically her arc is my favorite of the entire show and Laura just really brought it with the character for that particular part of the story um it was heartbreaking to watch that it was it was one of the stories that really resonated with me and the performances I think were what sold it more than anything else. But I also like the fact that there are certain parts of the story where she gets to kind of cut loose a little bit and be a character that's a little different because it, because you've got like Cynthia is kind of this, like she can be this kind of volatile character where like, if you insult her, she goes off the rails a little bit. It's really funny to watch and it's, and it, it really creates a great contrast when you see her in that specific arc of hers where you see where she started and what kind of 
person she actually was and what kind of person she actually wanted to be. And I think that's where the performance really shines. And I think it's it, it's echoed in a lot of the performances on the show is how each one of them sort of gets to show their vulnerability as a character through each of their arcs, especially with uh, Leron in his his arc, which is the last one, which is with Dorothy. And I guess that's something I really like, too, is how much Lorestal uh, is able to play off of the voice actor for Laurent. But yeah, all around, I think these three were actually really good. And I think it all worked really well for their specific, like, aspects of the story. So, yeah. Okay. Um, why don't we have Andrew go next? Okay, cool, cool, cool. Uh, I'll start off with uh, Kudo and uh, Shion Kim. Because they're very much recurring secondary characters. Kudo kind of starts off basically being Edamora's, like, buddy. Before it turns out, because he was originally his boss. And then they kind of got arrested for fraud. Like, actual fraud. And that kind of fucks with out your, your career paths. If you're trying to get a job. And then he just kind of becomes a pretty regular confidence man. Like, it's always funny when you see, like, set up pictures for the con, and then just in the background, it's like, oh, hey, there's Kuno. Hi, buddy. How you doing? Is that, is that, it's funny. Okay, yeah, and now that I think on it, like, the whole thing of, like, Kuno being, like, in a group the entire time, and how that relates to everybody's backstory is kind of weird when you consider that this is all supposedly Laurent's plan the, entire, the entire time, so it's like, it was like, did Laurent get Edamora sent to prison for part of his plan? Like, okay, okay. I feel like <laughs> if we start thinking too much about how Laurent would puppet mastered this, like, I think Laurent legit just wanted to get a hold of Edamora. That's as far as I'm going. I think it's literally just that Laurent wanted to get Edamora's attention and at that point, Edamora was already kind of in trouble with the law and being a little bit of a skeezy little shit, and that's what he got a hold of him. That's what I think, because if it kind of goes defaulting back to like, oh, Laron was planning this all along, then it's going to turn out that Laron is like a fucking Sosuke Aizen level, and I'm going to tell you, Jet, I'm not fucking ready for that. I'm not ready for that. Okay, except here's the weird thing. Kudo and Shion Kim knew each other because of the whole, um, the water filter scam. Oh, God, you're fucking... Oh, God, if this really was a fucking Sosuke Aizen... Oh, my God, if fucking Laurent is Sosuke Aizen, I'm actually going to fucking scream. <laughs> anyway, I didn't Moving want to on. break your brain, but... Moving on. Mike Pollock is just a delightful actor anytime he gets to do things. And just see, he's just very charming as this little skis ball kudo. Like, he's just a ton of fun. He's very goofy. He's very fun. He does a good job getting into the characters he plays. Sometimes that's like a very, like, meek gentleman at a casino. Sometimes it's a fucking mob boss. Like, he's basically playing like a goofy, like, Yakuza boss for the art auction. And that's funny. He's just, Mike's a ton of fun. I really like Mike Pollock anytime he's in anime. Um, Karen as, uh, Shion. 
Oh, Shion, she's, she's a veteran. She's been at this for like 80 years. Like, she was the femme fatale in her youth. She's just... She knows all the tricks in the book. She's a veteran. She pl She's played this game so long, this is all she knows. But Karen just has this gruffness to her, and she's just a ton of fun. She's Anytime she gets to interact, she's just really funny. She's really entertaining. And she just has good chemistry bouncing off of the other people. I also really like her relationship with, like, Dorothy and Oz in that in that little mini flashback arc. I think she does a really good job, and it's like, oh, she's basically been in this longer than even Laurent. That's really interesting. Cynthia is introduced as Investigator Paula Dickens. She then is, in fact, just a very casual, rich philanthropist named Cynthia, who also does a good job playing a seductress who is also the team manager of a, a team manager who is also playing a younger Cynthia, who is just a starry-eyed young girl with aspirations and dreams and in love, who's also just... God, you want to talk about, like, the fact that these are actors that are playing different performances? Laura Pulse is playing an FBI agent. She's playing a seductress. She's playing a young, starry-eyed girl and also just a femme fatale badass. Holy shit, like, I knew Laura, Laura Post had talent and range. This is the most I've seen her range really shown off in an anime, and it's amazing. God, she's amazing. Like, this is, wow. Like, sometimes it's like, okay, sometimes I get complacent where it's like, okay, they, they're probably gonna do a good job. No, Laura, Laura Post is fantastic. She's really, really good. Like, if it wasn't for one other particular performance that really blew me away, I'd say, like, yeah, Laura, Laura Stoll's, there's an argument for her being, like, one of the best dubs in, dub performances in the show. But she plays, like, the, the sultry, older seductress, the really good, like, con artist actress, and also just, like, the younger, in-love, sweetheart version of herself seamlessly, and makes it work is impressive. How the fuck is that Laura Stahl as Dorothy, though? How? Actually, how? What the shit? Like, I thought I had a pretty good grasp of your Laura Stahl's vocal range. Granted, I'm very familiar with her vocal range as, like, younger boys now in the form of Irma and Ray from The Promised Neverland. But, holy shit, Dorothy is a fucking queen. No other way to get around it. Dorothy's a fucking queen. Wow. She's also just really fun. Really entertaining. Does a good job also doing the acting in like two episodes in itself. She's just very funny. Very charming. Very sexy. And just a powerhouse of like emotion and endearingness. Like, God, her relationship with Laurent is actually adorable. But she's also kind of shows a lot that, like, the danger of getting too hooked on what they basically dub the, their con games, it basically is, like, addicting. Like, she gets really hooked into it, where it's basically like, Laurent is like, no, you're getting too into this. Like, you're gonna fucking get punched and shot and killed, kid. It's like, no, but I like that. This is fun. This is exciting. This is how I live and how I want to live. Before she decides, I'm going to settle down. 
and decides, I'm going to do one last job, which you never do one last job. You might as well just say you're going to die. But God, Laura Stahl's vocal range as Dorothy is stupendous. And for, like, a character that really is only in, like, three or four episodes, like, she makes a really strong impression. And my God, she's amazing. And also, yeah, what the fuck's up with the Wizard of Oz motif? She's Dorothy, and then there's Oz. Did that mean anything? Or was it just... Cuz? We're digging too deep in the rabbit hole now. <laughs> Alright, Jet, what you got? Okay, um, so... Okay, so starting with Mike Falcon's Kudo, I thought he... I, thought, I really enjoy hearing Mike Falcon things. I mean, I've, I've always enjoyed his Eggman and Sonic. It's a, and like the very, very, and the many variations of that he's done over the years. Um, so anyway, he has like a really good, he has really good comedic timing and that really came into play here with his, how he played Kudo. Uh, he, at first he just kind of comes up as like Animor's goofy sidekick and I thought that Mike did a pretty good job there. Uh, but then when it turns out that he's like part of Laurent's crew and he's like it on the scheme the whole time, I thought that Mike did a pretty good job handling that shift. And so, okay, so, and so, and even then, he's just, and even then, he's just kind of like a good buddy with the other crew members, and he does like a good job bouncing off of one of them, and he's just kind of like this fun, weird, not grandpa, but I, not grandpa, but just kind of like weird, but kind of like goofy buddy, and I kind of like how he bounces off of one of the other characters, especially, especially Karen. I thought that I thought they had really good chemistry and. And yeah, though that was a fun performance. Uh, so uh, Karen Isian, I really liked her too. I thought they had like, I thought they had like the right amount of rats for the characters. She did a really good job. It just kind of made her making her sound like a seasoned veteran in a sense. And that she's been at this for a long time. And so and I thought and I thought she did a good job of getting that that across while also not being afraid to be a little goofy when she wants to be. It's like, yeah, especially during that whole bit where, like, after everything happened to Dorothy, Laurent's, like, sitting traumatized. Like, instead of saying anything comforting, she's like, oh, yeah, I'm back. And it's, and I was just kind of like, oh, yeah, that's beautiful. And I, and I thought that Karen was a lot of fun. Like, it's like I mean, like, in the grand scheme of, like, cool anime grandmas, I mean, I wouldn't put Shion up there with Gen Guy or uh, Captain Magno from Mandarin, but uh, she's pretty high up there, so she was a lot of fun. She's She's up, she's up at, I'd say, at least, like, top, top five, top ten range. Yeah. And so, uh, getting into Laura Stahl's Dorothy, I've enjoyed what I've seen of Laura Stahl's work up to this point, and she's definitely impressed me more with each new thing she's been in, with this being no exception. Uh, like Andrew said, I'm still more used to her playing young boys and female characters, so I didn't really have, like, too big a read on what to expect from her here, but she was a lot of fun. Uh, compared to our main forest game artist, Dorothy comes off as much more of a thrill seeker, a la, I would say, Rebecca from Loop on the Third Part 4, and I think Laura's performance kind of reflects that. Uh, like, right off the bat, mm. her portrayal of Dorothy comes off as kind of whimsical and carefree. Well, she has the utmost competence in her skills, he's mostly just out to have a good time, and Laura's tone is kind of bursting with the seeds of energy. And I also liked it, much like Laura's actor, Dorothy, is kind of the one among the characters who has to speak the most languages and fake the most accents to get the job done. And while we don't get to see her do a whole lot of it, it sort of does a good job of showing how wide Laura's range can be, and she handled all of it really well. 
And of course, Sophie has her serious side too, as we see through her whole romance with Laurent. And how she kind of, she tries to keep her distance from him at first, but she does open up to him a little bit when she reveals more about her past. And I liked how Lolo was able to shift gears and make Dorothy sound a little quieter for those scenes. And uh, you can also tell that despite Dorothy repeating the whole mantra of this game crew, not really considering each other friends or teammates, that she really didn't care about them when push came to shove. And how Dorothy kind of refused to sell them out when they all got caught. And I thought that Laura sounded resolute enough to make that whole scene feel pretty convincing. Uh, my only real complaint is that we don't get to spend a lot of time with Dorothy as a character, but Laura definitely makes good of what little time she has, and also not gonna lie, Dorothy was really, really hot, so yeah, that kind of adds to my complaints about her. Yeah, you know what? Her. You're right. Jet, you're <laughs> right, and you should continue to say it. Dorothy's fucking hot. Um, and um, actually, all week. actually all the all the confidence women are pretty goddamn hot. Uh, yep, agreed. Um. Uh, Lastly, moving on to Laura Post and Cynthia. Uh, Laura Post is no stranger to playing mature older women at this point, but even with that in mind, I was simply impressed with how she did this one. Uh, when we first meet Cynthia, it's when she's playing out the Paula Dickens persona, and it, I thought that sounded pretty in line with what I'm used to with Laura. But she did a good job of making it come off of no nonsense and authoritative. So, and, um,. She had a really commanding presence that so you can kind of see how she rose to that whole, how she supposedly rose to that position. And I thought she did a pretty good job of kind of wrapping up a mommy up in her son. And even when she supposedly sat backstabbed him for a quick buck, or made her sound cynical and did it enough that you could kind of believe this is the sort of woman that would do that. And then it turned out the whole thing with an act and the real Cynthia is just a lot more loose and energetic. And from there, Laura's tone shifts to being a lot more playful and sultry. As she, as she juggles between between manipulating men with her charms to just kind of being relatively laid down to relatively down to earth and carefree whenever she's off the clock. Uh, in a lot of ways, it's what I imagined Laura would sound like as Fuzika Mune if he ever played her. Well, the character does give up a few Fuzika vibes. Uh, I feel like, again, going back to Rebecca, I feel like she's more like what would happen if Rebecca and Fuzika were somehow the same character. And uh, that definitely made that definitely made a lot of her antics really fun, and uh, I really dug Laura's performance when we saw Cynthia in her younger days, and uh, where compared to how she is now, she came off as a lot more sincere, and I thought it made for a pretty good contrast. I definitely thought it helped to make the drama of her arc more effective, and I definitely liked how she bounced off of Eric Teens Thomas in her younger days, and when they were reunited, you can tell through Laura's too that Cynthia does so care about him, but she's kind of more or less moved on. And Laura just got that across really well. So, yeah, I like Cynthia a lot. And I like Laura's performance a lot. She was great. So I guess I'll start with, uh, with, I guess I'll do Mike and Karen both at once. Um, Kudo's a really fun character. I'm, you know, as much as the rabbit hole of his involvement in Team Confidence is just... <laughs> cries. Um, I like that he actually does get to come back a lot. Um, he's an absolute hoot. And so is she on Kim. Uh, especially when she first shows up on the island and she's just like, oh yeah. I particularly like Mike Pollock in the, uh, in the second heist as the, um, proprietor of the casino. I like to hear Mike Pollock schmooze. <laughs> he's actually really good at it and... Yeah. 
And Shion Kim gets a lot of great little moments. Um, I like the fact that she basically, quote-unquote, dies in the flashback. And then she's just like, oh yeah, I came back. Uh, do do Cynthia and Lauren Post. Or Laura Post. God, I'm tired. Um, We're almost there, dude. I promise. I know. Uh, she gets a bunch of really great little arcs. Um, I absolutely adored her in part three with the, uh, with the whole R.I. <laughs> said she, she basically decides to do it because of just how much, just how much James Coleman pisses her off. Like, when she gets angry, it's great. Um, especially her little rant in, um, in the second heist where... She had just started talking to Sam, and he's just like, She tried oh, yeah, seducing him, woman. and then he's straight up a pedophile and calls her a fucking washed out <laughs> cougar. Which, hell hath no fury <sighs> like pissing off a woman and saying she's a washed up cougar. But yeah, it was great. She has a lot of great comedic moments, a lot of great dramatic moments. It's great. And Laura Stella's is Dorothy. Also great. Um,. She only gets about an episode or two's worth of screen time. Uh, and I absolutely adored it. Just because she had... She had the personality to match Dorothy's energy levels. Um, so overall, like, the general team confidence... Um, definitely did a great job supporting our main trio. And speaking of our main trio... Abigail Jones. Um, she was originally... A part of a middle-class family living in Iraq. Uh, she had tried to become a ballerina, and then War on Terror happened. As it does. And she lost both of her parents. She lost both of her parents in a bombing raid. Um, she ended up getting trained as a jihadist. As one does. Uh, some Somehow ends up in Brooklyn, where Laurent Thierry finds her. Yeah, that it... Himself sort of, himself sort of the mastermind of a great scheme. Yeah, I really think that kind of is the one thing that's slightly bothered me about Abby's arc is that there was just no explanation of how she got to America. There was just no explanation from nearly dying in a, in a battle with soldiers to being in Brooklyn. Like, yeah, it is weird. I feel like, okay, look. I almost feel like they kind of probably are setting up for maybe eventually doing a second season because because there is kind of a sequel there is a sort of sequel hook at the end of this as we mentioned with the whole thing where it's like hey the U.S. president is the Razzie actor Laurent's a bodyguard for the new U.S. president um, there's some other arcs going on and of course uh, Dorothy's alive. Don't actually know if they're even going yeah. to touch that, but they wanted to let you know she's alive and she got the ring, which I think the circumstances are a little contrived, but like, okay, you know what? She got the ring back. That's fine. Yeah. Anyway, um, speaking of Laurent, he is a con man who his mother was swindled right before her death and he decides to just Go out and be a playboy. 
um, decides to start scamming people. Circumstances lead to him being a uh, confidence man. And he is also a Xanatos-level mastermind, apparently. Let's also talk. Let's also introduce him by his other proper title, okay? The blonde asshole. Yeah, he is blonde and he is an asshole. Oh, he he is an asshole. We have also canonically seen his morning wood. <laughs> yeah, I'm really surprised they did that, but they definitely did it. And last but not least, we have Makoto, aka Edamame Edamora. A man who seemingly has zero agency in his own life. And uh, more of that later. <laughs> more of that later. Cast about in a tide of just people taking advantage of him. He decides to be a confidence man. And he continues to sort of be the butt monkey of Team Confidence. Until he finally gets a moment of comeuppance. That's kind of treated weirdly, but we'll get to that in a sec. I'll say, I think, while he is kind of the butt monkey, I think they also kind of recognize that Makoto has the most heart of the confidence men and is actively cha actively changes, like, plans kind of on a whim just to give, like, certain people he gets attached to more closure. Like, he actively goes out of his way... To stick his neck out for certain people that probably right. would have gotten ignored by the grand scheme of the plan. You know what? He reminds me a lot of Rock from Black Lagoon. Uh, uh, yeah, okay, I can uh, see Kind of, though, I think his arc sort of doing the reverse. Yeah. Okay, he, he, he kind of becomes... Because instead of Rock finding his own agency, it's Makoto sort of going with it's the blow. Yeah, it's Makoto losing it constantly, and also, like, it looks like Makoto starts off as a crook and attempts to become normal, while Rock is like a normal guy who just kind of slowly becomes a crook. I also wanted to mention the Rock comparison because, God, his relationship with Abigail reminds me so much of Rock and Refi, where I straight up was hoping the end of the show was going to end up either those two getting a single cigarette kiss or those two boning like rabbits. And it's a, it's a, it's a, yeah, it would have been nice, but as far as the end of the show goes, I do not believe those two are dating. I totally believe Rock and Refi are dating off screen, but not these two. So, Abigail, a.k.a. Abby Jones, is played by Kasser Muhammad, Laurent Theory by Aaron Phillips, and Makoto Edamura by Alan Lee. I couldn't find much in the way of anime credits for Kasser Muhammad. Um, she was, however, in Cannon Busters. Same can be said about Aaron Phillips. Um, his only other, like, major anime role is the, uh, NYAV post-dub of Mobile Suit Gundam Seed. Um, but he was also involved in things like Overwatch and Last Man. Alan Lee. Unfortunately, a lot of the major things that he is involved in, we may or may not be doing episodes on later. So, the stuff I can say he was involved in are things such as Al Noah Zero and Record of Grand Crest War. So, I think I'm going to start things off with Jets. Uh, cool. Okay, so I will start with Khazar Mohammed as Abby. Uh, so, obviously this is my first time hearing Khazar Mohammed in anything, and I hope this won't be the last because I have really dug her performance. Uh, Abby has a very gruff and prickly personality, and Khazar did a really good job of getting that across, and a lot of her interactions with a lot of the 
other characters, ranging from general apathy, since he's just kind of go with the flow a lot of the time, to coming off as more jaded and cynical, thanks to a lot of her experiences in life. And this is especially true in a lot of her interactions with Edamame, since he clearly doesn't think very highly of him in the beginning of the show, and frankly, even towards the very end of the show. And watching her dour attitude playing off of Edamame's extremely high, strong personality made the two of them a lot of fun to watch. And, but at the same time, the two of them do sort of help each other out in a way, as Abby kind of helps Edamame to wisen up a little bit, while he gets her to soften up ever so slightly, and while I doubt they're certainly making out it just anytime soon. I thought they had a pretty good dynamic, and I thought it was kind of sweet. Akasu's also got some pretty good dramatic chops, too, and when we see her, get to the point in her arc where she confronts Lewis over his role in the Iraq bombings, the barely contained rage in her tone really felt sincere when she stepped. I was just equally impressed at how raw her acting came off. Well, again, I think the way the show tried to put a neat, tiny bow on her and Lewis's relationship after that was maybe a little irresponsible. I thought that concert nevertheless had a really good job of uh, getting across how Abby was trying to cut the terms and everything and learning how to value herself a little bit more. Uh, but for all that though, one of the things that really impressed me the most about Concert's performance here was just how well she played up Abby's various personas during some of the during some of the other cons. Whether it was her doing an intentionally bad accent in the first con to pretend that she didn't understand English. Or Abby playing up her sultry that's a little bit too against Studio 7 under her thumb. I thought she did a really good job of making them sound distinct while making you believe they could come from the same character. Uh, the, uh, with this character being someone who is otherwise extremely gruff and quiet, and that's honestly a really impressive feat. Especially for what was only her second outing doing anime ADR work, so... There was definitely a lot to juggle with this character, and Kazer knocked it out of the park pretty much every time. Uh, it was one of my favorite performances of the dub, and I'm really looking forward to whatever she does next. Uh, moving on to uh, Aaron Phillips as Laurent. Uh, Aaron Phillips wasn't a name I was familiar going into this either, but his performance was definitely really good. Uh, it can be pretty hard to out-sexy Jinichi Suwabe, and I haven't listened to the Japanese audio, so I don't know exactly how Suwabe that went. Uh, but Aaron's performance simply had plenty of swagger of its own. And once we get past the whole language barrier bit in episode 1, Aaron's voice has a natural suaveness to it that just kind of draws you in. While he doesn't go full-on used car salesman, there's definitely a slickness to his tone that makes you believe right away this is the kind of guy who knows how to fleece people. And so he sounds and acts like he's always five steps ahead of everyone else. And that mix of confidence and charisma in his tone makes it both fun to watch and also extremely punchable at points. And Aaron balances all of that very wonderfully. Uh, like with Laura Salzdorfi, I really have to give him credit for the amount of languages he has to speak at various points of the show. And well, I'm not sure if that was him speaking Chinese for the last arc, that it definitely was him speaking Spanish, French, and a little bit of Japanese across the rest of the show. And while I can't speak to how naturally he started doing it, being able to do it at all was pretty impressive. It's, and especially considering this dub's, the constraints this dub's production was under, given, well, you know, everything with the plague. Uh... Since Lauren's, since Lauren spends so much of the show manipulating everyone, we don't really get to see what his deal is until the very last arc of the show. And for as much suaveness as Aaron's performance had up until that point, I was just as impressed with how effectively he was able to dial it back when portraying Lauren in his younger days. And when he was a little greener and a lot more sincere. And while he wasn't quite on Makoto's level of butt-milky or acting on his feelings first, uh, he definitely came off with a lot more concern than earnest. 
especially where Dorpy was concerned, it definitely made their romance and subsequent tragedy that followed feel all the more effective. And when Laurent finally broke down afterwards, it was basically left an empty shell and really told me how low and pathetic Laurent felt at that moment. And I thought it was probably his strongest scene in the show as far as, like, the dramatic front goes. And honestly, given how much Laurent kind of struck his pals wrong, and Makoto in particular, I do kind of wish him getting one up at the very end of the show was maybe a little grander than it ended up actually being. Uh, but then the entire scenario in that scene kind of needed a couple of rewrites, so it's hard to get mad about that specifically. Uh, but regardless, Aaron did a really fantastic job as a rod. Oh, I don't know why it was my favorite performance of the dub, but I think on a technical standpoint, it was probably the best, so well done. And lastly, uh, getting into Alan Lee's Makoto. Uh, I've heard Alan Lee's work before and enjoyed it. The thing I've associated him the most up until now was probably later with Gargante on the Virtuous Planet. And while I enjoyed his performance in that show, his performance there was also intentionally stilted for a fair chunk of it, since the show operated under the gimmick of Leto having to learn how to speak the same language as the other characters, which I guess in one sense kind of prepared him for this show. But it also meant that I didn't really know how much range he could give to his characters. And but if Great Pretender is any indication, he's definitely got a lot of range. Uh, again, once we get past the whole language barrier gag of episode one, Alan Lee's performance is definitely a lot of fun. Uh, like Aaron Phillips Laurent, he presents Makoto as being an extremely cocky swindler. And it gives him the tone of someone who would absolutely fleece you as a drop of the hat, but while there's a natural suaveness to Laurent and Aaron's performance of him, Alan Makoto has basically none of that, and instead he just comes off as kind of a dork. And it makes it pretty funny once you realize that he's just completely in over his head. And for a lot of the show, Makoto is just kind of the butt monkey, and Alan does a really good job of giving a lot of really wacky overreactions that make him really fun to watch. And but at the same time, Makoto is also very much a heart among his fellow band of swindlers, and he's very much determined to do the right thing, even when even when he maybe sometimes shouldn't. And that comes across just as well in Alan's performance. And one thing it bounces off of Laurent and Abby in particular in that end leads to some pretty good scenes, since... Those two are kind of the more amoral of the bunch, and while Makoto doesn't really change either of them particularly, or at least, you know, or at least not with Laurent, it's definitely at least easy to sympathize with Makoto's point of view, and Alice delivery definitely helps with that. Honestly, any complaints I really have aren't with the performance, but basically how the show kind of treats Makoto in general. I think everything about his character arc in the show's first arc works pretty well, and you can believe his growth pretty well, but... I feel like after that, it just kind of gets a little repetitive. Like, the whole thing with him trying to start his life over, only for it to be employed by Laurent to drag him into the next height was kind of funny the first time. But then the show just kept doing it, and after the second time, it just felt really obnoxious. And it just felt like he was just kind of getting dunked on for no real reason, and then you have, you know, basically everything about his relationship with Oz in the final arc. And, well, I mean, I'm not going to go too deep into that again. Uh, but, but, but mostly I just feel like the show might have been a little stronger if, like, maybe Makoto was actually a more willing participant in Laurent's schemes. Like, it might have been a little harder to do the up at odds that way, but you could have, you know, maybe focus a little more on the parallels of those two both being combat and maybe Makoto, you know, tr coming a little bit more to turn with, like, is, if that's what he wants out of life or not, or maybe something like that. But, you know, instead we got, well, everything with Arc 4. But, uh, yeah. All that writing aside, Alan Lee's performance was, was really good. And, uh, I, and I really 
do I really thought his delivery during Lakota's breakdown at the Oculus meeting was really good, even if again I have mixed feelings about that scene in general. But yeah, a really good performance. Alan Lee did a really great job. I hope more people pay attention to him after this. All right, and next up is Lack. I'll start with Abigail. Uh, Kalsar Muhammad, she does a fantastic job with the fact that Abby is a very quiet character. And the the fact that she doesn't really have that many lines, I think it's actually really impressive how much uh, Kalsar was able to get enough of a performance out of Abby in spite of the fact that you are dubbing a character that doesn't speak very often. It's not a rare thing in anime. There are a lot of characters that don't have a ton of speaking lines. I mean, you can go back to, like, I don't know, Oron with, with uh, Mori. But it often is on the on the precedent of the actor themselves to be able to really get something out of the fact that they are playing a mostly silent character. And Abby's not... Abby gets more and more talkative as the as the show goes on. Those emotional beats are really, really impressive, especially during the, the uh, piloting... the piloting arc. Yeah, I just... She did a really great job with, with Abby... Uh, Alan Lee is hilarious as Edamame. I he just brought so much life and personality to the role. I just really, really enjoyed. Like there, there's some great moments, like when the the uh, Chinese restaurant guys keep thinking he's Korean, and he's like, "Dude, I'm Japanese." It's it's really funny. Um, there's a ton of standout moments for for him, and just how much energy he brings to Edamame. Um, because you have to with a character like that. He's he's a really he's a really animated animated character. He's a character who needs that amount of energy, otherwise it's just gonna fall flat. Like there there are characters that you can that you need to play subdued sometimes. That you need to not be too energetic or you miss the point. But with a character like Edamame, who's constantly on edge, constantly moving. And just constantly having the the rug pulled from under him, you really have to have those comedic chops. And Alan Lee absolutely 100% brought it. It's funny because I believe the first time I ever heard him was Gargantua, the Gargantua dub on the Velustrious Planet. I think that's what it's called, uh, which I really liked. That was a that was a fun anime. Um, and he's playing a completely opposite character from that. Because the the character he played on that is so monotone and just quiet and militant versus an Amame who's just so all over the place and neurotic and it's really funny to watch. I left Laurent as the last one because I think Aaron Phillips is my favorite performance. I think... I mean, let me try to get my words right here. Laurent is a very, very complex character. He represents almost the core themes of the entire show. When you do that, you really have to bring your A-game. Because you've got a character here like Laurent, who, on much like a lot of the characters on here, on the surface seems like a pretty two-dimensional character. And then, near the end of the series, we finally get to where he comes from, what his backstory is. The fact that there is a lot of tragedy to his character. I'm trying to figure out the best way to put this, because I, I want to articulate my words as best as I can. There has to be a sense of intellectualism to Laurent as well, because you, you have to believe that he is 
like three steps ahead of everybody else. Even when he's not, he still has to act that way. And, and the moment that the shoe drops and that you start to see the vulnerability shine through, uh, I think that's really where his character shines, and I think that's where Aaron Phillips' performance shines. And on, on top of everything else, he's just really funny. Like, Laurent is funny in the show. And, like, he's funny in a completely different way that Edamame is funny. Or even Abby is funny to some degree. Or Cynthia. Or Cynthia is funny. And yeah, the backstory that he has with Dorothy, you, you see him on the vulnerable side. So you're playing these... because It's appropriate that this show is called Great Pretender because you've got all these main characters who are playing several different people at once. You've got Abby who's playing, who's playing whatever she needs to play to get what she needs. You've got Cynthia who plays whatever she needs to play. You've got Laurent who plays whatever he needs to play. And you've got Edamame who's playing whatever he needs to play. But at the end of the day, that's not who they are. We we see the real, the, their true selves. Even if their true selves aren't even actually what we see when they're talking together in private. So, yeah. I think that's that's enough for me. All right. Uh, Let's see here. I think I'll start with um, Kasser Muhammad as Abby. I particularly like the her introduction in the in the first case um, where she is basically um, she's she's one of the girls in Kasano's pool and she's basically putting on this act that she's trying to play somebody who's like on drugs and all that. She played it really well. And then holy shit case number two comes along. And you learn more about her, and she gets to develop as a character, and it's just... Whoa. Personally, I... Yeah, I do think she kind of let Lewis off the hook a little too quickly, but other than that, like... The performance itself was just really, really rock solid. And after that, more or less, just kind of being the grump, it was real good. Holy shit, Aaron Phillips is a tour de force in this in this dub. Like Jet said, he had to tackle multiple languages at basically the drop of a hat, which he did really well. He was pretty much seamless with the with the scenes where they had to switch up his voice actor because it was a it was a language he was unfamiliar with. So yeah, I think Chinese was that was yeah, really I think Chinese was the only one he didn't speak. And not to mention the whole thing in the very beginning with the uh, Japanese, but yeah. that was everybody. And I think it was actually him who spoke Japanese in a later Yeah, yeah, that, yeah definitely was him, I could tell. Sometimes there's a little bit of blurring. Sometimes it's like, no, genuinely, I do believe it was, like, him and other actors at different times. It was kind, it's kind of impressive how, like, being critical, we notice it a little, but for the most part, it kind of blends really seamlessly. Like, if you were if you were just kind of absorbing it, it sounds seamless. That's impressive. He has absolutely pitch-perfect comedic timing when he needs it, and then, holy shit, the whole arc with Dorothy when he breaks down. That was just... Wow. I'm such a piece of shit. And then even the moments after that, toward the tail end of the series, where he's sort of in the hotel room alone, and then Dorothy just shows up as a phantasm, looming over his shoulder, and it's just... Ugh. There are moments where this show can be absolutely great, and that's one of them. 
And speaking of comedic timing, Alan Lee really got this shine in that respect as Edamora. This is a character that rolls with just about every punch until he's basically had enough. And I think Alan Lee really captured that well. Even particularly, well, I don't think it was very well written in terms of the actual show structure itself. The, his end rant where he finally basically is able to take agency back into his life and basically do the, you know, the fuck you to Laurent and to his father at the same time. Like, there was raw emotion to that and I, I absolutely adore it. Uh, so in terms of the three leads, like, absolutely spectacular. This is my first time hearing Kasser Muhammad as Abigail Jones, and oh my fucking god, what an amazing job. Like, as I've mentioned, Singapore Sky is, like, my favorite case arc of the show, and I think a lot of that eventually comes into, like, Abby's, like, part in this too, and I think the performances she gives... And the emotion she gives is really something. Not only that, she's also a really good actor in the series. In that, like, she is she is a Middle Eastern woman who basically has to play a, like, ditzy Hispanic woman because Casado's an idiot and doesn't actually re recognize the difference. Like, she's basically playing, like, stereotypical, like, Hispanic, Hispanic voice. I'm like, oh, okay, sure. And then also playing, like, a very, like, sweet, earnest uh, art curator that would go for a sleaze creep like James. But also just the raw emotion of just, like, her confronting, like, the trauma of her past in the form of dealing with, uh, with Lewis. Like, that, like, she got some raw, powerful emotion, and it's genuinely chilling, and, like, some of the best dramatic chops I've heard all year. Like, she got high accolades for me for the end of the year for that in particular. And I think she deserves it. I really want to hear Cosser and more things. Aaron Phillips. Jesus fucking Christ, Aaron Phillips. This dude is unbelievable. He makes him sound suave, sexy, kind of an asshole, kind of an... A piece of shit but also charming and wonderful kind of unhinged kind of psychotic kind of an asshole and kind of brilliant aaron phillips is also a name that's new to me but he sells laurent Thierry so hard makes this character his own and it's probably like technically like one of the most impressive ones in the entire show and alan lee as makoto edamame edamura Holy shit, he is he is working with a lot in the show. He gets probably some of like the most ambitious complex scenes in the entire show and Alan is perfect. You can tell he's putting a lot of energy, a lot of talent, a lot of passion, a lot of effort into this. He is a delight. Every time I hear him, he shoot he is he's got so much chemistry with every character he's with, with every scenario he's with. He gets some really good funny moments, really good dramatic moments, some freakout moments, and is genuinely really compelling and really, really makes Edamora his character. Like, all three of these performances are truly spectacular. 
like probably some of the strongest elements and already equally strong and impressive production. So I think at this point, it's time that we switch gears and head into final thoughts. I think we will start with Black. All around, I think this is an excellent dub, and I really admire how, like, tr like trailblazing this dub is. Um, it's appropriate that Michael, Michael Sinternicholas is the director. He's always been, he's always tried to be as trailblazing and as experimental as he possibly can with dubs. Um... Yeah, no, I think all around this is just this spectacularly done dub. I think everyone was very, very well cast. Uh, yeah, that's really, really all I have to say. I'll make this quick. I'll make this quick. Great Pretender is, without a doubt, one of the strongest dubs I've heard all year. All of the year 2020 is one of the strongest and most standout dubs of the year. It is a unique beast. It is ambitious. It is technically impressive. It's kind of an amazing beast that I really don't see something this ambitious as far as an English dub really that often. It also helps that this is just a really strong show. I have problems with it. Boy, do I have problems with it. That pretty much the entirety of the case four section is a lot of my problems with it. But I really enjoyed my time with these characters. I really enjoyed my time with this world. It's gorgeous. It's delightful. It's a ton of fun. I don't think I'd object to more seasons, but I I, I hope they, they're they at least a little more considerate with their own scope and don't, like, bite off more than they can chew. That said, I love this world. I love these characters. I love this dub. It's really strong. It's really impressive. If you have a Netflix account, or if you know somebody's Netflix account you can bum off of, this is definitely one of the strongest dubs on Netflix's catalog. So yeah, the Great Pretender dub is really fantastic. I mean, on a technical front, it is a really amazing feat, what they were able to pull off um, under remote recording constraints. Like, live performance is really good, and um, I really like a lot of the casting. I really like the way they had a lot of the accent work and, like, characters speaking different languages. All of it was really well done, and it, it was just a really well-put-together production, and it honestly, one of the best, one of the best dubs, if not the best dub from 2020, and, like, on that side, and on that murder load, it's really fantastic. It hopes that Great Pretender is also a pretty solid show. It's a it's a pretty it's a pretty easy recommendation to make to most people to check out, and even if you aren't in that into anime in general, I feel like it's something you can pretty easily recommend to casuals. Uh, it's not totally perfect, and I mean I do have a lot of a lot a lot a lot of problems with the last arc, but hey, I mean three out of four arcs are pretty good, so there's that at least. And, I mean, I guess I also wouldn't object to more if they, like, maybe try to make their writing a little tighter. And what we got, uh, the show was mostly solid, and the dub was really good, and you should definitely get that to dub. So, I largely agree with you guys. Um, Great Pretender is probably one of the most solidly put-together dubs of the year. Um, the show is capable of meteoric highs in terms of production quality and just absolutely stellar storytelling. Um, unfortunately, it does not stick the landing. Uh, that being said, you know, it, it is absolutely worth your time. 
to give it even a even a glance. All of the characters just pop and have personality, and there's banter, it's punchy, it's all the stuff I like about dubs. And they tried to throw as much authenticity into it as they could. I can look at this and absolutely respect it for what it is, but it's also just really good. Uh, and if you would like to check out The Great Pretender, it is available via Netflix. Um, I believe it's like 13 bucks a month. But let's be real, you're just going to bump somebody else's account. Or it's included in, like, a cable or phone plan. Like, you've got access to Netflix, even if you don't realize it. And if you'd like to check us out any further, we have a Twitter feed, twitter.com slash where we mainly just post updates for our show and also sometimes do some really cool stuff with it. Uh, we have a Twitch stream... Tumblr's dead. Um, we also do happen to have a Kofi account if you want to drop us a little jingle. And also we do have a Patreon account if you'd like to provide a little more regular contribution. Uh, we do like to shout out our patrons at the end of our episodes. So at the $5 tier, we have Megan's Mom and Dad, Michelle Travis, Miraculous Corazon, Nico Robin, but with the OEMs, and Victor Mybaroda. At the $10 tier, we have Carly Lesikow, Crimson Echidna, Jacob Wilson, J2, aka Jared, Marissa Lenti, and Otaku Anthony. Thank you guys so much. We really could not do this show at the level we are able to do it without your assistance. It's also thanks to you guys that we are able to take these things and do audio episodes on the on the go on things like uh spotify and apple Podcasts. like it's it it really is a pleasure that we can take you guys on the go and or take you take us on the fuck i'm tired we're, we're tired yeah we'll have, we'll have <laughs> yeah so if you would like to get to know us from the episode a little more personally um, here's how you can do it, and we'll start with Lack. Uh, if you want to find me, you can find me at Lack the Watcher on Twitter. I'm also doing some stuff on, on TikTok. You can find me at Lack the Watcher there. So, yeah. Uh, and as of this recording, I got cast in a visual novel, Meister High, that, um, yeah. If you just Google that, you should be able to find it. So, that's cool. Hi, my name is Andrew. You can follow me on Twitter at MangaMan9000, where I go by the name Classy Spartan. I know it's confusing, but whatever. Just roll with it. Uh, you can find me over on Surreal Resolutions Podcast ONA as a co-host for the anime podcast, Podcast ONA, alongside my good old buddy slash pal of mine, Jet. Jet, introduce yourself to lovely people. Uh, yeah, i Jet. You can find me on Twitter at Divinega. You can also find me on my blog at Aries Infinity, where I will sometimes write things, and like Andrew was mentioning, you can also find me on Podcast Oday. Alright, um, and you can most certainly find me on the Twitter.com at Roots of Justice. Uh, I mainly retweet cute animal pics, talk general fandom. You should come by. Have a good time. Um, I've also made it my New Year's resolution to actually get reviews out, so we will see how long that takes. Hopefully not another year, but we'll see. Uh, so with that, I think we're... Oh, oh, oh shit.
What? Do I do I hear sirens? Oh god! Oh shit! It's the guys, cops. Guys, grab the loot and go. Grab the loot. Oh god! And go. Grab it. Go. Grab it. And go. Grab it. And go. 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 Get in the getaway car. Oh boy, there's a lot of them. All right. Um. Good night, everybody. I think that means we gotta go. Good night, everybody. Otaku on, and the ride never ends. The con is over. We got our loot. Otaku on that of us. I'm lonely, but no one can